What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy, and we've got a very, very special episode this week. Uh, I know it's been a while. It is, wow, it is July 13th, but a lot has been going on. Um, my last podcast was over a month ago, but, you know, had a lot going on with, you know, dealing with uh, the COVID-19 and still trying to go on, like, uh, my out- Outer Banks family vacation went on a, uh, a bachelor party after doing a little bit of quarantining. So there's been a lot uh, of things happening. And you know what? The podcast that I wanted to do, it was just going to take a little bit longer because this is a very special episode. Um, I've been planning this one for months. Uh, I had this idea way back when I still had less than 50 episodes in. But this is the 101st episode. This is episode 101. I was going to do this on the 100th episode, but... It didn't feel right. It felt like there were more pressing things going on in the country, and uh, to kind of you know post this a month ago would have been uh, I don't know. I think I think it just would have wouldn't have been the right time. So I wanted to let some time pass before I put up another one because I really wanted to have fun with this one. I want to get critical. I want to get um, a lot of thinking going on. I want to get people's opinions. Uh, I think this is going to be a big one. So, what is up? I, I am I'm really pumped to be doing this one. I hope everyone is excited for this. This is the 101st episode, which is officially going to be the 101 movies that made me. Now, you know, some people will think, okay, this is a list of the 101 best movies according to Jake. Um, that's not entirely true. That's not how this is really working because I understand that some movies on here aren't as good as movies I left off, okay? Like, for example, right up front, I'm just going to let you know, I don't have The Godfather on here. Why? Because Godfather's not really important to me. Um, You know, growing up, there were classics that I got to see, and there were classics I got to see a little bit later, and it just meant different things to me. So, you know, it's it's no surprise to anyone that I love Jaws. Jaws is one of my favorite movies of all time. And, you know, it came out very similar time of The Godfather. I know the quality of the movies are similar, but it's it's not about that. It's about what's important to me. And Jaws was very important to me because I lived by the beach and I got to see this movie a bunch of times. And, and it was scary to me back then, but I was still interested. And it holds up today. And uh, a movie like The Godfather, it could be someone's, plenty of people's number one movie of all time. And I'm not going to argue that. I love to hear other people's opinions. I love to hear why people have movies high and why people don't think a movie is that great. But, you know, to me, this is going to be a very unique list. There will be a mix of movies that are important to me, movies that I love, movies I think are perfect or impeccably made. There are a lot of different reasons why movies are on this list, and I'll try to get into them one by one. So with that being said, I really don't want to give much detail before I get into the list because we've got a lot of movies to go over and I'm really excited to get to it. So um, without further ado, I might as well just jump right into the 101 movies that made Jake Brainy. okay? Um, I'm going to start off with the classic 10, right? So this is the 10 movies that I think should be almost, if not on everybody's list, almost everybody's list. Um, I think they're pretty much classics considered to everybody, and to me, they're all 
rated in the 98 to 100 range, right? So, um, to me, the, all right, so the first one is Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, I, it goes without saying, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, you know, I, I know to some people it doesn't stand up. Some people think it's not all that good. But, you know, it, just consider the timing. Like, I saw this as a little kid. My parents allowed me to watch this, and I was so into it. I thought Indiana Jones was the coolest guy in the world. I went um, as Indiana Jones to Halloween multiple times in a row. Uh, the fedora, the whip, uh, like the open shirt showing chest hair. Like, that. Like you know, I, I mean, yeah, six-year-old me wasn't showing chest hair, but... Like, I just thought he was so cool. I thought uh, Harrison Ford, by the way, happy birthday, Harrison Ford. It's his birthday today, 78 years old. So um, fitting to have him up here. But this was just a huge, uh, huge ad for me. This was probably the first one I put on the list. Uh, it goes without saying, it's, it's a 100 in my book because I think it's just, it, it's so innovative and it's so huge. It's got one of the best theme songs of all time. It's one of the films that built Steven Spielberg's career and I don't know it's just there's there's not a whole lot to criticize for me on this front so uh, number two is Goodfellas I love Goodfellas I think what it comes to like you know it gets roped in a lot with Casino it gets roped in a lot with uh, The Godfather uh, movies like The Departed movies like you know um like uh, a Bronx Tale, and and whether that's fair or or foul or whatever, to me this has always been like the mafia movie, the movie about the mob. Um, I've always just been such a huge fan of Goodfellas, and it's such a cool movie. I think Ray Liotta in it is like just incredible. I think the acting by everybody. I mean Joe Pesci is is like is a maniac in the movie. I love it. Bobby De Niro's good. It's just got so many really good pieces. It's a long movie, and yet I'm in, I'm interested in almost every single second of the movie. That's when you know you've got a great movie, is when you watch it, and every moment of the movie, your eyes are peeled, even though it's like a three-hour film. So, uh, big fan of Goodfellas. Uh, I, I mean, not much to say there. Uh, next one up is Jaws. Again, I said this. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Th this 10, this grouping, this first 10, these aren't my favorite movies of all time. These are just considered to be the, the classics and the classics that I put in here automatically right off the bat. But Jaws, however, does cross over as one of my favorites. Um, you know, the trio of Quint, of, of Brody, and um, oh my gosh, uh, what is his name? And uh, a Hooper, Hooper, sorry, yeah. Um, I think it's the best trio possibly in every any movie ever. I know that's like saying a lot. I said it on my Instagram feed, and I, I point out there's a ton of really good trios. So I get that it's you know, it, I mean, it's probably reaching a little bit, which is fine. You know, there's, uh, you know, I know I was just like in the moment, but I really do think uh, Robert Shaw playing Quint is one of my favorite acting performances, really, just ever. He is. It's almost like he decided, okay, before I do Jaws, I'm going to get into character by living on an island, uh, like in like a fishing shack for like three years and eat nothing but what I catch and have no human contact. And that's really what you get out of him in this in this movie. 
and his performance is one of my favorites of all time, right up there with one I will get to a little bit later. Of course, I'm going to get to a lot of them later, but um, this goes without saying, one of my favorite movies of all time. And my grandmother, uh, my mom, love her to death. Uh, great, funny, quick story. One time when she was taking, when her and my grandpa pops were taking care of me and my sister when we were kids, um, they she took us to the beach to watch Jaws on like the you know side of the Spring Lake uh, community pool, and it scared the shit out of my sister, and so much so that like it's it, she didn't go back in the water like all summer, and my mom wanted to kill. Mom, mom, but hey, you know what? That's a learning experience, and uh, that's you know, grandmas. They sometimes they gotta test the waters a little bit. No pun co- clearly intended here, but uh, yeah. So the funny little story about Jaws because that really really rocked Maggie for a while, but um, funny nonetheless. So, but Jaws, it's a one hundred, and it's clearly in one of one of my favorites of all time. Next up is Pulp Fiction. Okay, I have a bunch of Quentin Tarantino movies on here. Uh, you know, this is basically, it's been one of my favorites for a really long time. I know it's, uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but Quentin Tarantino's directing style is really like something that I hold dear in my heart as something that's really important to me and something that's like really just so cool. So I love, love Fight Club or I'm sorry, Pulp Fiction and uh, spoiler for the next pick, but I love Pulp Fiction. It's so cool. I think the acting by Jules, um, you know, Samuel Jackson is is great. He really like, you know, I know this is something he does a lot in his movies where it's like he drops like a motherfucker, motherfucker, motherfucker. Um, but it's it's one of his calling cards, and he just does it so well. So I don't see any problem in having an actor uh, do what they do really well. I don't think that's a problem. So. Uh, Pulp Fiction is clearly in here. It's a, it's it's got an open end. It's, uh, you know, shot in a really weird order because it's it doesn't happen in a linear way. But I'm cool with that. I don't think a lot of movies can get away with that. I don't think a lot of stories can get away with that. But I think it really works for this movie, and I got nothing wrong with it. It's a it's one. Of, I don't even think it's Quentin Tarantino's best movie. I think that's another one we'll get to later. But it's just been a favorite of mine for a while, and it's certainly a classic. Okay. Uh, next up on here is Fight Club. Again, I kind of spoiled it before. It is a very unique movie, and I never say very unique because it's technically not correct to say that. Um, it is such a unique movie. It's really cool. It messes with your head. It's it's a really cerebral film where it makes you think. And I like, you know, when it comes to crazy endings you know a lot of people point to the usual suspects and i say uh i don't know about that this is one of the crazier endings to me uh because usual suspects i always thought it was crazy ending but then i watch it with sam and like five minutes into the movie she knows what's gonna happen so that kind of sucked but fight club however this one crazy ending it's it's such an awesome acting performance by both norton and brad pitt um I I I have very little critiques of Fight Club. I know the uh, like the gunshot ending is a little weird and hard to explain, but to be honest, the film itself leading up to that has so many incredible quotes and memorable lines and memorable scenes 
that that ending I kind of allow to be open ended, and that's something where it's hard to translate it from a book. You know, that's just where sometimes the book capitalizes where a movie can't. Uh, you know, you can't just film everything and show everything. Books kind of, you know, have that leg up on movies, a rare leg up on movies uh, in that category. But Fight Club, it's clearly in my top ten. It is such a unique film, and I'm I'm happy to have it on here. Okay, my next one is Snatch, uh, a Guy Ritchie film. Not a lot of people will have it. I think this is the one of the ones that kind of sticks out in this top ten. Um, it's one where I, it's it's like a personal one for me. And to me, if you haven't seen Snatch, you gotta watch it. It's the best like British film I've ever seen. And I'm not saying that it is a British film. I know it's kind of like, you know, that's a weird category, but the entire cast is British. It takes place in London. Um, You know, and and the people that aren't British, they play British people, except for Dennis Farina, who is one of the best cursors of all time. He's right up there with Sam Jackson, and uh, he's great in this one too. But, you know, I love ensembles. I love those big ensemble movies where you have... 12 different people that basically have an equal role as the lead. Uh, this is my favorite Jason Statham movie. I don't I don't love a lot of Jason Statham performances. This one, however, I put as like number one. Um, and I just I love the whole ensemble. I think everyone works together really well. And there are so many it's like a dark comedy, and I really appreciate a dark comedy here and there. So uh, to me, I don't think Snatch should really have any question to be in my top uh, top 10 for the classics. Um, one final note about Snatch, you know, like, Brad Pitt's character, I think it's really funny that they make uh, all of the pikeys, which are basically like carnies, I guess, uh, but in, you know, England, uh, they make him just, like, inaudible. You cannot listen to him. You cannot hear him in a couple scenes, and there's a option to put on closed caption form to have basically subtitles for him speaking even though he's in Eng- speaking in English and I think that's really funny because you know it's it, I don't know it just it just sticks out to me as a really funny scene but a very cool story one of the best stories that's on this list um, it's it, it, it's somewhat complicated but in reality it's not all that complicated it's just you know a, a heist gone horribly horribly wrong for so many people involved and I think it's uh, I think it's just a really funny movie, and uh, at the time of seeing it, I was kind of like in awe of this film. So uh, clearly, snatch big one for me on this. All right, next up on my classic ten, this is the only comedy that's in the classic ten. I guess you know if you want to give movies genres, uh, you, know, you know which which. After listening to a Judd Apatow interview on Lights, Camera, Barstool, I don't think I want to give movies genres all that, you know, anymore because the way he films movies is he says he likes to tell stories and he doesn't like to pigeonhole things into oh it's a comedy or oh it's like you know uh, like an action movie or it's a rom com like he's like no these are real life stories and these are stories that involve a lot of different things so and I was like you know what that's actually really cool so. And that's one of the reasons I really like certain movies. It's just because of the story it tells, or the performances, or the cinematography. It, it really has nothing to do with the genre. So um, I think that that's why I have, you know, just something I like to go into. But of comedies, this is the one. This is in my top ten. It's one of the most classic movies, and it is 
I would say probably a polarizing film just because of who's in it, who who like who's into this type of film, but it is The Big Lebowski. Yeah, so The Big Lebowski, um, for those who haven't seen it or don't find it funny, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, this isn't for everybody, and I understand that, uh, but the Coen Brothers movie, it's got a great cast, you know, starring Jeff Bridges and John Goodman, but, you know, with other appearances by, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Even Tara Reid makes, like, a pretty good appearance in her character. Um, Steve Buscemi's awesome in it. Uh, John Turturro's great. Uh, Peter Stormare. It's a really good cast. It's a really funny movie. The story is very, like, wonky and out there, but it is one of my all-time favorite comedies, and it is a clear classic for me. I think it, it's one of the best comedies I've ever seen in my entire life, and it's clear that why it's on this list. All right, so next up on my list, uh, we got another Steven Spielberg film. Uh, this one also a '99 on my uh, on on my movie uh, uh, scoring scale. It is Jurassic Park. Uh, this this was a huge movie for me growing up. I was such a big fan. I wasn't even like the biggest dinosaur fan as like a little kid. I just, uh, I mean, I really liked uh, reptiles, uh, but and I mean, I like dinosaurs. But to me, this movie was just everything. Um, I was so it was so cool back then. It really holds up now too. And considering the year and that this was like you know mid nineties, the graphics still hold up. And this movie is really good. Like graphics in movies. 10 years after this are like sometimes worse but Jurassic Park uh, the special effects everything holds up really well uh, the story itself is good and the characters are good as well it's one of my favorite like action films it is the single best movie theme song and I will easily stand by that I know there are some really good ones usually John Williams is attached to them uh, you know you look at Home Alone has a great theme. Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Jaws, all great themes. But to me, Jurassic Park is the best theme. And it's played throughout the movie at different scenes. It has different instruments in it. You, uh, they play the piano version at the very end, right before the credits. I think that's great. It's a very quotable film. It's It shows how good it is because they've made five more after. And there's a sixth one on the way. And... Uh, or no, no, I'm sorry. They've made five total, and there's a sixth one on the way. And only the first one has really been the one that like makes sense. And it is, it's really good. And the cult fascination around Dr. Ian Malcolm, which is Jeff Goldblum's character, uh, has only increased. I'm a huge Jeff Goldblum fan. He's one of my top five favorite actors in the world. Um and he is the the fascination around his character has only increased part partly because of his weird creepy lines but also just his like very creepy laugh as well in the movie uh but it holds up it's it's one of my all-time favorites as a kid and it is still really fun to watch as an adult if i had to pick a movie where uh you know it's a saturday night and i'm staying in and i just want to eat like junk food and watch a good movie that I know will never disappoint. Jurassic Park is on my very small short list. And the only reason it's on 100 is because I still can't get over the fact that on Isla Nublar, there's like two security guards. 
Like, it is literally a theme park with dinosaurs, and the security is that of, like, two people. And I know they explain in the beginning that they send them home, but I'm sorry. The guy's bringing his grandparents there, or grandchildren there, and they have multiple doctors and lawyers there that are trying to get this all figured out. That part, to me, I'm like, it's very convenient for the storyline. It's the only reason it doesn't have a 100, because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of the best movies of all time. I'm, I, I am not joking when I say that. If you haven't seen Jurassic Park, or if you just chalked it up as a dinosaur movie when you were a kid and never looked past it, you need to seriously reconsider watching this movie. It is a great movie, and it is, it, it, yes, it's about a dinosaur park, but like it is it's so much better than that type of movie that you need to give it a shot. It is one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's got the best theme music I've ever seen, and it's clearly in my top ten. It does have the Jeff Goldblum uh, like aspect to it that I love. Okay, um, next up, ninth on my top ten of the classic ten is Shawshank Redemption. This really doesn't need like much of uh, an explanation. Um, it's a lot of people's favorite movies. It is another long one where the entire movie, I'm still into it because I just love the story. I love the character building that they do in this. I think that's really important. You know, in long movies, sometimes people say like, yeah, it's boring. But to me, it, it if they do it right and you build up these characters and we get to know them, we get to know what drives them. And in this, we really see what kills, you know, uh, Tim Robbins, his character, the whole movie, and it's just aching at him to get out of there because he doesn't belong there. And at some point, it breaks everybody. And how do you handle breaking in prison? And his is hope, and his is trying to get out. And even though they say hope is a dangerous thing, and, and you know, Morgan Freeman is is incredible in it. His you know his voice acting is you know probably second to none. Right? You know everyone knows. You know when you think of movies and voices, you think of Morgan Freeman. And I gotta think this is his best one yet. So, uh, it it's great. It's got a, a phenomenal ending, like an all timer, and it's a great uh, pop culture esque movie. This makes it's Shawshank gets referred to in media all the time, uh, whether it's you know when when Robbins gets out of the uh, get out of the sewer drain and just in the thunderstorm is like you know has his hands up to God, I I used that when I finally won the dodgeball championship so that like you know to me it's relevant but it's relevant to everybody it gets it's get me it it has so many different plugs in media it's it's. It shouldn't really need me to explain it anymore. Shawshank Redemption, it's one of the best movies of all time. Uh, and it's clearly it's clearly in my top 10 of my top 100. So, Okay, um, last one. Rounding out the classic 10. These were, again, this 10 was just movies that got in on their own merit. It had nothing to do with seeding. It had nothing to do with anything other than the fact that it's just 10 uniquely crafted movies that were done perfectly uh or almost perfectly i should say uh number 10 is reservoir dogs quentin tarantino's second film still not his last trust me we get to a lot of them um again it's a it's my all-time favorite heist movie it is it's got one of my favorite movie villains i think michael madsen's 
uh, you know, Mr. Blonde is so good in this as just a, he really makes crazy scary. You know, in this movie, you have, there's only a couple characters, right? You know, the cast is like 10 people long. And the movie really surrounds five people. Uh, Buscemi, awesome in it. Uh, Madsen is great. Tim Roth is great. Uh, Harvey Keitel is 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 awesome. It, it's his best. I think it's his best role too. Maybe Pulp Fiction when he's the wolf, but you know this is right there too. The whole cast is great. The story is is awesome. They build suspense and they build the the scare in you without using violence, which I think is so impressive because you have a movie where. Basically, the heist is, you know, you're leading up to the heist, leading up to the heist, and then, like, Flash, we're past the heist. And, yeah, they show they show a clip of it, and they go back to it a couple times. But the movie's about building up to it, and then how everything goes wrong. And I, I, just, I just love the fact that they don't even need to show it to show the intensity of the movie. Yeah, that's another thing, too. I, and I'm only ten movies in, but I'll tell you right now, uh, the common theme in a lot of these, outside of the quote-unquote comedies that will be on here, is I love movies that really hone in the intensity, whether that's used through sound and, and music, or it's used through acting. It can be used through silence in the right uh, ratio or aspect. But to me, Reservoir Dogs builds up the intensity through what we assume happened and just everybody's mixed emotions and you have people freaking out at each other you have somebody dying on the floor you have somebody that's ready to torture and and is just like lives by his own rules and i just everything about the performances in this movie that just so carry it and of course when they play stuck in the middle with you during i i there's no better scene to me that really just uses this innocence of a good song to its to its advantage to build up this intensity and this violent nature and it's so impressive to me i'm really just floored every time i watch this movie and you know i i I said that I'm a Michael Madsen's character, and he's just the way he's dancing around, playing the music, and uses this as like motivation to get him like, oh, I'm just teasing you, I'm about to kill you. Like, it, it just shows how dark people can be sometimes. And, you know, if you don't get that, if you don't understand that, it's really too bad because it's so impressive to see that inherent badness in somebody and they use this scene to really build that up and get you to know like there's no talking to this guy he's a crazy psycho and those people are out there they live out there remember not every there's 350 million americans right 330 million americans whatever not everyone's like you not everybody has morals and values like you do some of them are batshit crazy and they know it and the batshit crazy ones that are also smart those are the psychopaths and the oh man, just this movie, just showing a psychopath and using a song with innocence in it that really turns it on its head. It's scary, you know. Before I move on, I do want to say like that's one of my favorite parts of Stranger Things this past season, which was uh, season three. You know, there was a part where they uh, were killing 
you know, two parents in the movie, and they had Bye Bye Miss American Pie, you know, playing in the background. And, like, it was such... It it didn't, like, earn it the same way that Reservoir Dogs did, because so many people had already died in, in the show, and that it's weird with involving, like, aliens and stuff, that I think they could have done the scene differently if they really wanted to, like scare you or feel scared for these people but they still did a really good job of taking like an innocence of a song like that and making it scary you see it often a lot of times in movies too where people will be drinking milk to show and and i figure out who said that maybe it was film enthusiast on instagram um you know to properly credit it because it was a really good point where milk is used to show the innocence of, like, a child or someone who's, like, you know, being really nice and coy and whatever. They'll be drinking milk, but when you take something innocent and apply it to someone that's really smart and strategic and possibly psychotic, it becomes a really scary feature, like you see in uh, No Country for Old Men when... This, the stalking killer is basically he's drinking milk and you think like man that just makes a scarier guy even more uncomfortable because of the milk so um you know i i didn't think i'd get into reservoir drugs that much but there are some things that stick about stick out about these movies that really just get me going and i love that quentin tarantino can build up intensity in so many different ways you know he can have jules staring you down giving you this big speech with a gun in his hand that's a great way to build it up or you can get michael madsen dancing around to a song getting ready to carve up a guy and have just absolutely no fear or qualms or regrets in his eyes it's great it's it's so good and it's it's mind-blowing and that's why reservoir dogs is clearly in my top 100 so so that is my classic 10 the first 10 raiders goodfellas jaws pulp fiction fight club snatch the big lebowski jurassic park shawshank and reservoir dogs all right um i don't have many notes on them. i kind of you know dove into them really fast and uh and i might as well just jump into the next 10 so this next 10 is the quote-unquote jake's choice 10 all right so these are movies that might not be on many people's top 100 lists. They might not be known to everybody. You may have not. You may have seen some of these movies in the past. You may uh, have not, and and that's okay. Uh, some people think they're bad movies. Others think they're cult classics. To me, they're just like the Jake Choice Ten. All right. Um, and, and that's why they're the Jake Podcast 10, because they're 10 very special movies, and I'll, I'll explain. So, uh, so first one on the list is The Negotiator. Okay, Samuel Jackson, he's going to be on this list a couple times. The reason The Negotiator is on this is not because it's like an exceptional movie. It's, it's a fine movie, there's nothing wrong with it, but I love it because when I was young, it was an R-rated movie that my parents allowed me to see, okay? And it had cursing in it, it had guns, violence, shooting, hostages, um, SWAT team, an escape, a setup, uh, a twist. So many different things that, you know, you're not introduced to in kids' movies. And to me, I, I got it. It was the first, like, adult movie that, like, really, cl- uh, not adult movie. Uh, it was the first, like, 
R-rated movie that like clicked for me, where I understood everything, and I just couldn't get enough of it. I loved it so much, and it, it it's always when people say, "What's Jake's favorite movie?" The people very close to me and have known me for so long will usually say, "The Negotiator." And while it's it's probably not my favorite movie, it was young Jake's favorite movie. It was teenager Jake's favorite movie. Negotiator has for a very long time been a very important movie to me, and that's why it's on this list. And uh, you know, it, and you know, uh, Tom's probably listening right now, and he's like, "Jake, The Negotiator, not that good. It is your favorite movie. Don't shy down." But I'm serious. I don't think it's my favorite movie anymore. But for a very long time, it was certainly my favorite movie and easily in my top 100 uh, uh, of list. So um, that's, you know, not much not much regret there. All right, next next one up is That Thing You Do, starring Tom Hanks. Uh, it is, you know, in terms of Tom Hanks movies, That Thing You Do is one of the lesser-known ones. I'd be surprised, you know, if, if you ask a random person named Tom Hanks 20 movies... They're going to get pretty close to naming 20 movies, and they probably still won't guess that thing you do. Uh, the synopsis, it's about a band in the 1960s that came up with a song, you know, a ragtag bunch from Erie, PA, uh, and the song is a hit, and their rise to stardom, and their quick fall from grace. Not much, you know, it's, it's kind of an autobiographical film because it's not about a real band, but it, like, seems to draw different things from different bands that made sense. And their song is called That Thing You Do, which is such a perfect little, like, 60s bopper song that, like, you could have totally heard the Beatles singing That Thing You Do. Like, I can picture it right now on, like, the black and white screen on the Ed Sullivan show of, like, you know... Paul and John singing, you know, hurts me so just to see you go. Like, it just, it it fits perfectly. And I always liked the movie growing up. It It's it's a fun movie. It, you know, even though it doesn't really have a happy ending for a lot of people, it's just a really cool story, and I've always liked it. It was an appropriate movie, so it made a really, a lot of sense as, like, the brainy family selection uh, to put on. And if we're talking brainy family movies... Uh, you know, and and one gets the automatic bid into my 100. This would clearly be it. But as a Jake choice, it supersedes that, and the Brainy family will get one admission later. Uh, but for now, that thing you do, it gets in on its own merits because I love it. It's a Jake choice ten. It's a great story. It's got one of the, probably the best soundtrack of any movie I can think of. You know, remember the Titans? It, it comes up really close right there, but. You know, I really love the original music. Uh, this started the Playtone Galaxy. You know, Playtone is the, um, is the what is it? Not the cover, the, the, not the contract. Whatever you call the firm, or people are probably screaming it right now. Like uh, Jake, the, whatever, um, the record company. It's the the label, thank you, the label. Okay, it's the label that they perform under in the movie, and it becomes like Tom Hanks's like signature in like you know all of the all of the productions and movies and and things that he makes. He had a hand in the orchestration of all of the songs in this movie. You know, all original songs that they wrote and and performed. And the other thing is. Gary Goetzman was his partner in the production of this movie of the of the music side of it. Excuse me. Gary Goetzman, also known as Gary Gotesman, 
to the Brainy family. He is a Brainy family legend because one time uh, Derek Brainy and I were writing in uh, names for the name game and we ran out of names. So one of the ones that I chose was, here, why don't we turn over the box of that thing you do and write a random name that's on the back. And it was great. Gary Goetzman. We spelled it Gary Gotesman and that's how we said it forever. Uh, and then in the game, Gary Gotesman came up and Derek just pointed at me and I yelled Gary Gotesman and it confused the hell out of everybody that was playing because they're like, I've never heard of that guy. And Derek just pointed at Jake and he knew what to say. It was a, it was a moment for the ages. So, so that has another, you know, little ring to it as well. But, Great movie, love it. It's it's my possibly my favorite Tom Hanks movie. You know, it's tough because Tom Hanks has been in so many good ones. You know, Saving Private Ryan's a great one, and uh, I love Catch Me If You Can. Uh, you know, everyone loves Big, and it, it, Tom Hanks has a thousand movies that you could you know you could mention. But this uh, this might be might be my number one, um, and it, it's a personal one for me. So big fan of that thing you do. Okay. Uh, next up on the Jake Choice 10, Independence Day. Everyone knows this is a top five favorite movie of me, of mine. Uh, not only is it you know a big celebration on the Fourth of July because of you know it happens on the Fourth of July, so that way it's that's why it's called Independence Day. Uh, Bill Pullman, big speech at the end of the movie that I performed in uh, Miss King's class in high school, and uh, you know as the president of the United States, Bill Pullman. Also, Will Smith, great in it. It's one of the better Will Smith movies. You know, when you start to think about Will Smith's movies, uh, it, to me, it's his it's his best one that he's done. Jeff Goldblum, love his character in this. Uh, Judd Hirsch, also great. It's a great movie of you know, kind of like USA being the underdogs, and when it comes to alien movies and invasion movies, this is the number one. This is the best out of this world film for me and you know the graphics back then too this was huge it was monumental and it was a game changer so independence day very important in that aspect too and this was brought to my attention the other day you know i was listening to lights camera barstool and they said you know they're talking about mars attacks and i thought to myself you know and they're talking about independence day too because of the obvious like correlation and timing and i'm like wow you know what <coughs> excuse me Mars Attacks is basically Independence Day, but with Tim Burton directing. And it's, it's if you think about it like that, you're like, wow, they're very similar movies. You know, the Alien Invasion movies are all sim somewhat similar, but the timing of it, it's like, yeah, if, if you just got someone else to direct Mars Attacks, it basically is Independence Day with a much bigger cast. And you'd think that the goofy president wouldn't be Jack Nicholson at the time. It would be Bill Pullman. But Bill Pullman, you know, the guy from Spaceballs, uh, turns out to be the very serious president, and Jack Nicholson is the one that's kind of like in the goofier role. Regardless, Independence Day, it's always been a favorite of mine. It is a huge blockbuster film, and it is a big-time summer movie. Uh, for so many reasons, this is on my list. Okay, next up, MacGruber. Another comedy. This one is a cult classic. It is not going to make a lot of 100 lists. It's not going to make a, a lot of 500,000 lists because it doesn't have the the name recognition. It doesn't have the you know 
the blockbuster, the big, uh, big box office numbers. It doesn't have much behind it. It's just known as basically a, a movie of an SNL skit, like, you know, the spinoff of that. Its big draw was, you know, Kristen Wiig before she was Kristen Wiig and Ryan Philippe, and they got a bunch of wrestlers and a washed-up Val Kilmer and Will Forte, you know, one of those supporting actors from SNL, right? That's what people see when they think of MacGruber. But if you actually watch MacGruber, and if you appreciate the Will Forte-esque comedy which I think a lot of people do, it, it, it teeters the line of, like, slapstick comedy, but doesn't fully go in. It just, like, dips its toes in the water, and it's and it takes this, like, 80s vibe of an action movie and that, like, macgyver twist of it, and it just is so perfectly crafted. It's so funny. It is a thousand lines that I love, and I fortunately got the chance to meet Will Forte and tell him not everything, Colonel. Because uh, when I was working at Madison Square Garden, and I wasn't supposed to do this, but I got like one-on-one time with him. Because when I was at little story, when I was at Madison Square Garden, I had plenty of opportunities to meet uh, celebrities because I was working in the VIP lounges, and I got to take them from the lounges and Suite 200, which is James Dolan's club, uh, to their courtside seats or close to courtside seats, and. One day, my you know you usually get four people at a time, you know four seats and then four seats there, four seats there, and other people have four seats and and it kind of works like in in that four range, and the four seats I had were it was Paul Rudd, his son Jason Sudeikis, and Will Forte, Jason Sudeikis and Will Forte who have worked together on a lot of things, Paul Rudd who's just so cool and works with a lot of people, um, you know this was back in 2013 so. MacGruber was still somewhat new. Uh, Will Forte was no longer at SNL. Uh, Jason Sudeikis probably still was, though. Regardless, Jason Sudeikis was with James Dolan. Or, no, I'm sorry. He was being pulled aside to uh, film one of those, like, uh, Ranger pump-up videos where, between commercials, if you're at the stadium, they're like, come on, Ranger fans, like, get up on your feet. Let's go. Let's go, Rangers. And, like, they do that, and they show a bunch of celebrities saying that, and it's supposed to get the crowd going so that when they come back from commercial, you have a lot of people cheering. They film those in between Knicks games and stuff, and they do the same thing, you know, and uh, for Knicks games. Uh, so Jason Sudeikis was doing that. Paul Rudd was with his son talking to James Dolan. When you're talking to James Dolan, you don't interrupt James Dolan, so I didn't worry about them. They had Paul, Dolan, uh, Paul Rudd taken care of, and I, it was just me and Will Forte. So I was like, well, okay, I'm with Will Forte. I love MacGruber. What am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to just be silent? Like, I know you're not supposed to be a fanboy, and I've made mistakes in the past. I, you know, I told CeCe Sabathia I was a big fan. I, you know, I, I, I t- you know, let uh, Jesse Jackson walk all over me, and Chris Brown's posse was killing me. His friends were just, like, all over the, all over me on that. Um, but with, um, with Will Forte... I had a chance, I had an opportunity to just say, you know what, like, I'm a big fan, uh, I, I'm not supposed to say this, but I, I love MacGruber, and I think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen, and he looks at me and he's like, really, thank you so much, you know, we, we put so much work into that, we we loved it making it, and we had just, like, like so much fun, and it really it, it's really great to hear that people enjoyed that movie, because we did a lot, 
and uh, and he's like, and you know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll be able to uh, make a uh, group or two, which would be really great. And I'm like, <laughs> it just like blew me away that I had this like little inside scoop that I immediately texted some of my friends, and I said, uh, <laughs> I said, not everything, Colonel, to him, just because I was like, I have to quote it. This was the easiest quote that came to my mind, and he said, never ever, say never ever, and. Uh, it, it floored me. I had texted Tom and Mike Scotto immediately. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So, so yeah, plenty of good MSG stories, plenty of bad ones too, but uh, but the Wolf Forte one always sticks out because of my love for MacGruber. If you haven't seen MacGruber, give it a shot. I'm telling you, it's worth it. I think it's on HBO Max um, uh, or HBO Go. Check it out. If it's not your cup of tea, sorry, that's too bad because it's chock full of just great scenes and great quotes. Okay, um, next up on the Jake Choice 10 is Starship Troopers. Look, Starship Troopers is awesome. It's so ahead of its time. And we're talking alien invasion movies. You know, we just did Independence Day. Starship Troopers is right there as the most underrated space-based film. Uh, and it doesn't even have that great of acting in it. It's the campy, too serious for its liking but also, like, you're facing bug aliens. Like, that whole mix, it could go so poorly like it does in the follow-up movies. The score of the film is great. The concept is, you know, it's whatever, it's fine. The, like, cinematography, the CGI, the special effects, all really good for the 90s. Like, that holds up today. Like, if that were to come out now... I'm thinking it's pretty good work all around. And that was in the mid-90s, so to that I give it a lot of credit. Like, it looks good as a movie. It's kind of political. It's kind of satire. It has a lot of different, like, draws, but it is such an impressive film. And I'm I'm always, like, I, I feel like I still don't, rep it hard enough even though i try to rep it as hard as i possibly can and the people that don't like it i always assume oh well you just don't get it which like that's not exactly true it's just like that's how it is sometimes like you know but to me i'm like it's a very smart and intellectual film it knows what it is and they use the campiness and the one-liners are great in this movie there's so between jake Busey and uh uh, Detective Carver from The Wire. It, it like they've got a couple good ones each, and it's you know as long as you don't take the movie too seriously and you're just watching it to enjoy it, it's one of the best movies ever. And to me, it's one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. I know that's gonna make people like go like scratch their head or be like you're friggin' crazy, but it's true. I love Starship Troopers, and it's clearly one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. All right, next up is Point Break. Uh, again, another one that's a favorite of mine. People sometimes take it too seriously, but it's a really cool heist movie. It's Patrick Swayze's performance in, in, in it is legendary. I think it's right up there as one of my favorites of all time. Right there with Quint. Right there with, and we're going to get to him a li- in a little bit, maybe like 30 movies from now. Um, so I, I, won't, I won't spoil that one, but super good and and just like great performance Keanu Reeves a little bit over the top but I love him in this one too and uh, he's one of my top five actors of all time I think he's right now he's probably 
He's probably number one. He's like just edging out Nick Cage and Paul Rudd ahead uh, of Goldblum. So and John Bernthal. Um, you know, but Keanu right there at the top. This is one of his few movies that's in here. So uh, Point Break. Easily a top 100 movie. I love this movie. I have a hanging picture in my uh, other room of the movie poster. And I think uh, if you like heist movies and don't think of it as an action or, I mean, as a, you know, sport surf movie, because there's really very little of that, even though that's what people think it's based on. Got a lot of great one-liners, a lot of zingers. Really good. Point Break. Easy choice. Okay. Uh, next up for the Jake choice is Crazy Stupid Love. It is by far my favorite rom-com of all time. Uh, I think Ryan Gosling, this was a complete 180 for me with him. Uh, up until this point, I just thought of Gosling as like the pretty boy uh, in The Notebook and Remember the Titans. Like He was like a little kid Remember the Titans. Um, you know, But then this, it really changed. I thought Steve Carell, like, some pretty good acting chops in this. You know, He's still... Uh, hadn't like broken out of his shell completely, but I thought Marissa Tomei was great. Uh, Emma Stone was really good. Julianne Moore was really good. The kid actors were pretty good, and I thought Ryan Gosling. This was like a complete breakout for him because I think and I, I like the story. I think it's good. I like that it doesn't have a definitive ending. You know, sometimes people don't end up together, and I think that's okay, and that teaches that. But this movie has a couple different love stories where not all of them go well, and some of them do, and I think that's okay. Like, I think it's it's a great rom-com. It's my favorite, not even, they're not even a close second rom-com to this. So, uh, it's the Jake Choice Top 10, and it is the rom-com admission into, uh, in, into this bracket. Okay, next up, another movie that, you know, kind of be a cult film, kind of be campy at times, Galaxy Quest. Uh, another space-based film. I'm starting to see a lot of those. That's that's going to happen. Jake likes space films. Shocker. Alan Rickman, Tim Allen, Rene Russo. Not Rene Russo. What the hell am I talking about? Sigourney Weaver. Uh, a very young Justin Long. I mean, like teenager Justin Long. Great, great actors in this. It is so funny because... I love when actors play actors. I think they, I think it's like a nice stick it to Hollywood type thing when they talk about how like fragile egos actors have. And I think it's, I think that's always kind of funny. I think Tim Allen does a really good job of not acting like a kids movie actor and instead of acting like kind of like a punk asshole. And everyone around him in the movie, I think, does a really good job of like playing the parts. It's somewhat of a, you know, it's it definitely doesn't have the same effects as the other ones. It does not look like it had the same budget. The aliens in it are not nearly as good. But I think it just, you know, to me, it was very important for a long time. I loved this movie, and it was just, like, a must-have for me and a must-watch. Um, I, I don't think it, it it's... It's going to be one of those where it's not on a lot of people's lists. I, uh, I bet if I meet uh, 50 people, none of them have Galaxy Quest on their top 100 movies. But to me, Galaxy Quest is is a must-have, and, and it wasn't even close. Okay, uh, we got number nine in the Jake Choice 10. This is a recent uh, admission. This was the 2019, you know, is is one of the best movies and uh, years in film for me, and it meant that I needed to add one. So, you know, last year, 2019, you had Joker. You had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
you had uh, uh, Parasite. There were a lot of really good knives out. A lot of great movies that came out. I don't have a lot of roof, room, though, in in my list of 100 movies for 2019. So the automatic bid for 2019 is Jojo Rabbit. I loved Jojo Rabbit. I thought it was a great story. I love the fact that, like, you know, people get pissed off at Taika Waititi, who's becoming my favorite director. People got pissed off at Taika Waititi because they're like, oh, you're making fun of, um, you're making light of Hitler. And it's like, look, he's playing character. The character is a boy's, a German boy in 1942's imagination of Hitler. German boys in, in, in 1942 fucking loved Hitler. Like, that's what they did. And, and this is like a weird take on, on it, but this is what his impression of Hitler was at the time. So you have to understand, like, that's what these kids loved. And they looked up to him. He was like their leader. He, and this he was in the Nazi youth. And by the end of this movie, you know, this, by the way, spoiler alert for all 100 movies. So, you know, relax. But by the end of the movie, you know, he realizes that Hitler's not a good person because, you know, the Jewish people aren't bad people. They're not bad people. So... You know, the fact that Hitler is against all of them, he thinks is a bad thing, and he's wrong because he's, you know, and, and that Hitler's wrong. You know, and Jojo looks at that as, like, you know, he doesn't, that Hitler doesn't know. So, like, you know, mixing up my words a lot. But point is, I think it's a great story. I uh, It's sad. It had me laughing. It had me crying. I By the end of the movie, I really liked the ending. I loved the kid actors, and I thought they were so good. Uh, ScarJo, one of her better performances too, especially in a year where she killed it with Marriage Story and Endgame. That Jojo Rabbit was kind of like her third movie, uh, was was impressive. But you know, it was a it was a really great film. It was my favorite one of 2019, and I just and I loved last year in film. You know, it was so great. Sam and I went to so many movies last year, which makes this year so sad that we can't go to movies. Um, but last year was such a special year for film, so that my list of 100 has to have one from last year. So the automatic bid goes to Jojo Rabbit, which, uh, you know, it beat out some really good ones. <clears throat> okay, and finally, um, number 10 in the Jake Choice 10 goes to John Q. This wins the Denzel Award, the automatic bid for Denzel movies. Again, not the best Denzel movie, but to me it's really good. I loved this movie as a father-son film you know, uh, story, a guy that will do anything to save his son. There were so many movies that could have won the Denzel, you know, uh, region as you will. So John Q winner of the Denzel region. Uh, it was a tough automatic bid that it earned probably the toughest division to get into my 100 movies. Uh, it earned the spot. It definitely, definitely used the home field advantage, uh, of having my name, you know, John Q. Brainy, John Quinn Brainy is my name in that movie. He's John Q. So that's that's you know obviously a big point. Uh, you know, it beat out Man on Fire, Out of Time. Uh, they were those were really close to taking this. Remember the Titans. Uh, we'll be hearing from that one later. Trust me. Don't you worry about Remember the Titans. But in terms of the Denzel region, John Q. snuck out a huge victory. I love this movie. I uh, it's a great father and son tale. It's, it's a great hostage situation movie because you get to root for the hostage taker because he's not a bad guy. Even though he's doing a bad thing, he's doing it for his son. And his son's dying and needs his help. And he's willing to put his life on the line to get his son help. 
And that it brings up the age-old question of, like, is it wrong if you're breaking the law or doing something you know is wrong for something that you know is right? And, uh, you know, this movie, it asks that question. And you say, well, you know, he put up a lot of people in danger to save his son, but he did it to save his son. It's a good question. So that it rounds out my Jake Choice Top 10. Um, those, again, you know, to define that region, those are 10 movies that I had to put in because I love them so much because they mean something really close to me. They don't fit a certain like category or whatever. It might be a sports movie. It might be an intense movie. It might be a comedy. It might be whatever. Those are just 10 movies that I don't care how good they're ranked on different rating systems. They just mean a lot to me, so they have to be in there. Okay. All right. Going to take a real quick break. Going to wash down like you know some water down my throat because i am hoarse already and it's been an hour so uh, i will get through the next 80 much faster than i got through the first 20 trust me all right gang back from my little break uh just need to let the dog out need to clear my throat a little bit because i've been talking for a while so those are my top 20 those were 20 movies that are very important to me for different reasons. Now, the next 80 movies, I'm going to go through much faster than I did the first 20. I just wanted to get through those very quickly. Uh, but the next 80, I'm or no, I wanted to get those through those very thoroughly. But the next 80, I want to get through quickly. And I'm going to have sporadic notes here and there. But I'm not going to get into every movie, okay? So I'll go by region by region, the 10 that get in. So the next 10, my... Comedy 10. These are like original comedies. These are ones that might be a little older or just to me really stand out as standalone films that are just laugh out loud funny. Okay. Animal House. Obviously, you know, National Lampoons. A lot of great draw from this movie. There's a it, this set the tone. Does it hold up today as the laugh out loud film it was in the 70s? No. Um it, it's not the same, but but this was huge to me growing up, um, and it's huge to a lot of people. Tommy Boy, Office Space, Old School, Wedding Crashers, Zoolander, Superbad, The Hangover, Shaun of the Dead, and Best in Show. Okay, so that's my comedy 10. These are 10 comedies that mean a lot, mean a lot to me and have been for years. So Tommy Boy... 90s movie i loved chris farley growing up and you know it's a shame that we don't have him anymore because uh, i feel like he'd still be making a lot of people laugh 25 years later and i think he would have had a big imprint on comedy um you know office space another a quirky movie not everybody's favorite uh very dry uh but i love it i think it's great and i've always liked it a lot um Old school. This, you know, this set a set the precedent for a lot of comedy in that 2000s. You know, that 2002 to 2011 range, where comedy movies were just coming out left and right. And I'm going to get to more of those. Uh, I feel like old school was right at the beginning of it. You know, maybe it's not the, as funny as Wedding Crashers, but to me, it set the stage, and it was Will Ferrell's breakout onto the screen. You know, I know he had a couple movies before old school. You know, he had Night at the Roxbury, and he had SNL, so everyone knew who he was, but this one really did set the tone and uh, and, and did such a great job. And I remember, you know, it came out going into eighth grade, so that's a big year for, for me because just like any movie going into your senior year of high school, and I'll get to that one in just a second, 
uh, going into eighth grade, you know, that's when you're very confident. Everything's going your way. It's a great year. So the funniest movie and the biggest song when you're in eighth grade, those those stick with you. And that for me, that was old school. And that was Stacy's mom slash Ocean Avenue. So obviously all big time. Uh, next up, yeah, Wedding Crashers. There's really not much to say there. It's one of the most quoted movies of all time. Vince Vaughn kills it. It's one of the best comedy performances, period, is Vince Vaughn in that. Uh, I needed more Chaz Reinhold. Uh, you know, I think they, they did, you know, a little bit too much of, like, the romantic part of it. But, I mean, they they had to make a movie. They couldn't make just straight-up comedy. They had to make a movie out of it. So they did a great job. Zoolander, again, one of those at the beginning, the turn of the century. I fucking love Zoolander. I think it's funnier than any of these, you know, Owen Wilson, Will Ferrell movies. I think it's so underappreciated and really is hilarious. And, I mean, you know, uh, unfortunately they had to make Zoolander 2 years later. They really should have never made it. But, uh, you know, hey, it, it, it's showbiz, baby. That's what you do. Uh, but Zoolander, I, I used to be able to quote this movie almost probably the whole way through. You know, there was a time that if you said, hey, Jake, like, is, was, is there a movie you could say every line to? Zoolander was the movie. Uh, and if you put it on now, I'd probably get 95% of the movie just in quotes. Next up is Superbad. Yeah, Superbad. This came out going into senior year of high school. I say this all the time. Like, you know, that's huge. You know, any movie, when you the year you turn 18 or when you're a senior or when you're in eighth grade, those always stick with you because that's such like a highlight year for you and that's such a highlight time in your life. So things that were going well then stick out even more so. Superbad to me is one of, I think it's the funniest movie I've ever seen. And there's only a couple parts of the movie that I'm like, all right, I, you know, let's get through this. But there are almost the whole entire movie, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat because I'm like, I love this part. Or I love this line. I love this scene. I love this character. Uh, the cops in it, I think, are great. Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, like, they just make the movie. And that's the B storyline. Uh, Jonah Hill and and, uh, and and Michael Sarah are great together. And this movie, if it's not on anyone's top ten comedy list, I think you're severely wrong. That's just that. I know a lot of people are entitled to their opinions, but sometimes things rise above opinions, and super bad being one of the best comedies ever, uh, that, that rises above opinions. Okay, and the last couple were... Oh, The Hangover. I mean, come on. I, I, that came out in college, and that was one of those movies where I'm like, okay, when you see a comedy, is it not funny the next time over? I went to see The Hangover four times in theaters, and I laughed just as hard every single time. Uh, that The Hangover... Really, you know, it, it closed out that decade of comedy so well. And it had none of the same people. It was its own movie. It was so original. And, it, I mean, it blows me away. It still does. It's, it's like, you know, it's right there with Superbad for the funniest movie I've ever seen. And I think the first time I see the comedy, if you take just the first time I saw every single comedy, The Hangover by far wins the funniest. Uh, but, you know, Superbad stuck with me longer, and Zoolander I've seen a, a thousand times. But The Hangover, that first time you see The Hangover, oh my god, is it funny. And then rounding out the Comedy 10, Shaun of the Dead, Best in Show. Again, not not in there for everybody. Those aren't everybody's favorites, but for a time, those were movies that I'm like, I couldn't get enough of. Uh, I think Best in Show, I think that dry humor you get 
from uh, you know the waiting for Gru- for Guffman crowd. Um, th- uh, those guys are great. Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. Need I say more? I mean, those two. Anytime they're on the screen together, they're great. So you know whether it's in the '90s or it's in the 2020s, it, they're still great. And uh, you know the whole cast. It, it, it's a very weird film. It's very dry. That mockumentary type of movie. You know, sometimes it could be very boring. This one, not boring at all. Really funny, and it it, it comes a hundred percent down to the writing and portrayal of the characters that were in the movie because. You know, half the movie was dogs, and the and the story of it is very boring. When it's just people go to a dog show competition, like yeah, that's that's boring on its own. But it's just the characters that are in it uh, are, are so funny. Uh, and and I suggest if you've seen that and you liked Best in Show, check out Mascots. It's not as funny as Best in Show, but I think it's the second best movie from that group. Um, you know those 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 players, okay, all right, and uh, and what was my last? Oh yeah, no, uh, Shaun of the Dead again, British comedy. It's not for everybody, but I love Shaun of the Dead. I think it's so funny. It's like a high eighties for me, and uh, it's clearly in in this uh, in my top one hundred, uh, which beats out a lot of comedies. You know, there's not a lot of room left for comedy after those ten, but for me, uh, those ten were pretty easy choices on their own. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy for them. <laughs> for I'm happy for those movies to get in. Like, they needed to be on this list. So, anyway. Uh, so, we're through 30 movies now. Moving on. Now, I'm going into... This is a little different. I'm going into the comedy era. Alright? So, that comedy era. That 2001 to 2012. Right? There were so many good, funny movies that came out. And I feel like... You know, this is another thing where us millennials can really stick it to the, what are they called, Zoomers, or um, a Generation Z, or whatever whatever the generations are younger than millennials, because a lot of people say, like, blame millennials and stuff. It's like, it's not us, it's the generation younger than us. One thing we have on that generation is, we got to experience these comedies, uh, you know, that 2002 to 2012 range, right? Because, okay, so for those years, I was... I was 14, 13, 13 to 23, 24, right, of this era. So it's, I was prime age for these comedies because they're all PG-13 to rated R. And if they're rated R and you're 15 years old, like, yeah, it's me- it's meant for you still. So that era of comedy, which I've already said a couple of them because there's so many. Here we go. Mean Girls. Bridesmaids. I Love You, Man. Beer Fest. Super Troopers. Anchorman, Step Brothers, Role Models, Tropic Thunder, and 21 Jump Street. Okay. So, and you know, this is already including the couple Will Ferrell movies and The Hangover that made my top comedies of all time. But these, this comedy era, this really shaped me as like an adult because I, you know, I, I love film so much. I love comedies. Uh, and I just enjoy laughter. So, Mean Girls, super underrated comedy. You know, it's not just a high school film. This is actually like a deep movie, and it has it's like a really intellectually comedy, comedic film. Um, I'm saying um a lot, and I apologize for that. You gotta watch the movie because like it's it it caters to like a younger crowd, yes, but a lot of these jokes will are a little too like intellectual for that. 
And once you once you like you know watch that and realize it again, it, it gets that appreciation. You appreciate it as a funnier movie than it actually is. So many of the funniest lines are not even intended to be funny, or maybe they are. It's just they're not the commercial funny line in it. And I think Mean Girls doesn't get enough rep. That's why I'm taking an extra second here to kind of give it that chance as like a hey, you got to appreciate Mean Girls because I know like my parents look at Mean Girls as they're like. Uh, one of those dumb teenage movies that came. Oh, it's like no, 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 no. This one's above those rest. It's definitely above the rest. Okay, Bridesmaids. Again, this was like Hangover. It came out. It's such an incredible time. Um, you know, and and to me, I was like, God, Bridesmaids is hilarious. It does not. It like, for some reason people still like criticize this movie. I'm like, how? How do you criticize this movie? It's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And I typed this up a lot to a couple of my cousins. And Maggie and I were like, no, trust us, Bridesmaids, it is that good. It is so funny. And Albert, Derek, and a lot of people were looking at us saying like, okay, better be that good, better be that funny. Like, you're saying a lot of high things. And Maggie and I look over at the airplane scene, and we see Derek like holding his gut laughing so hard, and Albert's like probably pissing himself laughing. And we look at each other as like, yep, we did it. Like that's the that is the validation that we needed to see if this movie was gonna be funny enough. When we saw Derek and Albert cracking up laughing, we're like, oh yeah. And that movie is so funny. That's another one that you go scene to scene and you're like, I love this scene. I love this scene. I love this scene. And it's you know, Kristen Wig, Maya Rudolph, but Megan those they were great, but Megan McCarthy, her like her she was great just i don't even know how to put it she was like an asteroid hitting earth with her spot on the scene in this movie like she entered the movie and i'm like whoa we got a funny one and her dancing in the first scene where she's like i can still do this i can still do this with her hip and just you know every scene that she's in she's great it's a movie that i feel like every time you watch it you forget how funny it is Okay, we gotta move faster. Gotta move faster. Uh, I love you, man, and I'll put right there with uh, role models, two Paul Rudd based films. Love Paul Rudd. Uh, role models definitely like a raunchier uh, of the two. I love you, man, is a lot more innocent, but both movies I think are really, really funny and really underappreciated. Uh, I like I like them both a lot for very different reasons. I think role models doesn't get enough pub. Uh, because I don't know why. I don't know why it doesn't get enough pub. I Love You Man certainly does get the publicity. It's in that Apatow era of, of movies that really dominated in you know this era that we're talking about. But it's in that like net of people that they use with uh, Jason Segel. Uh, uh, Latruglia makes an appearance in this. He's great in everything he does. But yeah, so I Love You Man, role models. Um <clears throat> We're going to jump in with Super Troopers and Beer Fest, the Broken Lizard guys. At first, I thought only one Broken Lizard spot was going to make this top 100. But it was just, it was impossible to leave off Beer Fest. That movie is so funny. And I, I can't not have Super Troopers because that was the break onto the scene for Broken Lizard. And both of those movies are so funny and they have such a great impression on me. And really, it's a small group, you know, those Broken Lizard guys, and they don't get enough credit. There are other movies out there. You know, the Broken Lizard has more. They never did Pot Fest. Uh, I still, you know, I'm, we're still waiting on. Oh no, I never saw Super Troopers too, but I, I, I don't think I need to. I don't think there's going to be a rush to see that one. And uh, Club Dread, underrated comedy, nowhere near this top 100 list. 
but I thought I was going to have to leave out Beer Fest, and then I had it on the honorable mention list, and I was like, what am I doing? Beer Fest has to be on here. It's rewatchable. You know, that's something that's like, you can't find 100 watchable films. Some films I'm like, or I shouldn't say you can't find 100 rewatchable films, but like, you know, not all of these 100 films I'm like excited to watch again. Sometimes I just look at a film and I'm like, it's great. Let it stay in the past. Like, I don't really want to rewatch The Negotiator. In my mind, it's it's great for what it is. I don't need to see it again. And I'm going to get into that because there was a film I rewatched and I booted from the list. So I'll get to that later. But, you know, that's why some of these need to stay in the fat past. But, like, Beer Fest, Super Troopers, those I can rewatch. And those are good. All right. Uh, two, the next two were Step Brothers and Anchorman. Two more Wolf Ferrell ones. Uh, you can argue both of these are the funniest Will Ferrell movies. Anchorman was, you know, God, Anchorman was amazing. You know, it, it was a period piece. It had a perfect cast. It had some obnoxious characters, but it is so funny. And it, I think this, I think Anchorman defies defines this era of comedy more than Wedding Crashers does. And I think it's probably because of the Will Ferrell, uh, you know, stance in the movie. You know, Will Ferrell was in uh, Wedding Crashes, but as a very small part. He is the prominent figure in Anchorman. He is Ron Burgundy in Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. So, oh, sorry about that, listeners. Uh, we had a little doggy interruption as uh, Nola was super excited to have uh, Sam come home. Um, but with that being said, I would just want—I was leaving off with Anchorman. I think I said enough on that category. You know, everyone knows how funny Anchorman is. It's very quotable. It's used in gifs. It's funny to multiple generations, and I don't really think I need to defend it anymore. Uh, Step Brothers—that's one I feel like doesn't get enough pub. You know, it's so funny to me. I think the characters themselves are—you know—of of. of you know, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, they, they really just there's no movie with such ridiculous characters that are still somewhat believable. And the way they teeter on that line, I'm like really impressed. And it, it's like it's like childish comedy, but in an R-rated setting, which I think makes it like really funny on its own because usually you don't have like childish humor like that be in an adult and I, I i think that's why it sticks out as just another one that's like really really great and you know that era of will ferrell you know he, you could pick a bunch of them as your favorite whether it's zoolander whether it's old school or you know his small part in wedding crashers um but stepbrothers to me it, it has just as much claim to that and you know again will ferrell a lot of appearances on this list he just had like five so the uh, no surprise here so to finish up the Comedy Era 10, uh, the last two I had were 21 Jump Street and Tropic Thunder. Uh, 21 Jump Street, that was a bit of a last-second ad. 21 Jump Street got on this list over a couple of comedies that you know might not have aged all too well. Uh, there are some... I will get to the, the, the absences later from this list. But 21 Jump Street... You know, came out as a junior in college. Uh, I thought at the time, wow, what a funny movie. I didn't expect this from Channing Tatum. I didn't know he had like comedy chops. He was really great in this. Jonah Hill, this was at a time when you're like, I don't really know what to expect from Jonah Hill. Like, 
He was the fat guy who kind of was just like the comedic fat friend in a couple movies. And he slims down for this movie. And then he shows he's got like real acting chops. Uh, there are some really, really funny scenes in this. Just when Jonah Hill's like dancing and he's on the drugs. And you've got uh, Rob Riggle has a really good role in this movie. It's a very funny movie. I think uh, 22 Jump Street is also funny. But it kind of is so... I know they make jokes about how it's so similar. I think it's almost too similar. That kind of waters down 21 Jump Street a little bit. Uh, but when it comes to you know that comedy era, this was a big part of that comedy era. Even though it wasn't part of the Apatow group. It wasn't part of that like Will Ferrell group. It was kind of on its own. And it was really funny on its own for that part. I think, I think it's really great. I, uh, I, I highly recommend it too. And the last one of that 10 is Tropic Thunder. I can't say enough about Tropic Thunder. I think that movie, it still holds up, even though, like, you know, nowadays you really, you know, people get on uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s case for the blackface. I'll get to that in a second. Don't want to get super into that, but I'll get to it. And uh, the heavy use of the R word, not great. Outside of those two things, though, this movie, wow, it is so funny. Uh, it is clear that Ben Stiller and Justin Theroux, when writing this movie, they were like, we are going to just say, like, F you to Hollywood in this movie. They're like, we we are going to attack actors as, like, fragile little babies. We're going to attack, like, the industry on just how ridiculous and fucked up the whole thing is. And, you know, Tom Cruise, his role as, was it less is it Les Goodman, maybe? Uh, the, you know basically the head of the production company is so funny and it's 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 just, it shows me why tom cruise should really get out there more and do things that aren't just ethan hunt and mission impossible movies like he can really act and he does a great job as this like it's his best act acting performance he's just like he's a completely different person than the one you've gotten to know and it's probably because He's so comfortable doing this role because he's seen it firsthand, and I really appreciate that. Bill Hader being like a little simp good boy uh, in it is really funny too. Um, and you had, I mean, you had Matthew McConaughey who he still hadn't like broken out. I don't think uh, he hadn't done Dallas Buyers Club and and uh, True Detective and all of the movies I've kind of. Uh, you know, given him a little bit more than at the time he was just Matthew McConaughey. The you know. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Matthew or Fool's Gold. Uh, but in that, he's great too because he plays this like aloof agent that's kind of just taking advantage, not taking advantage of his client, but basically reaping the rewards of his client's success. And I don't know, the movie itself, it's just so great. It's clearly one of the like best comedies I've ever seen. And I think everyone needs to see it. Now, the Robert Downey Jr. stuff, if you're angry at Robert Downey Jr. for getting into blackface for this movie, you clearly haven't seen the movie. If you're going to be angry about that, you need to get angry at Christoph Waltz for playing a Nazi. You need to get angry at Christian Bale for playing a psychopath. You need to get angry at anyone who's ever played a bad guy or a murderer because that's what you're basing it on, is that you're angry at him for playing a role. You know, he wasn't doing blackface he was playing a character who the character was so fucked up that the character was doing blackface 
You know, this is different than the actors who back in the day would take roles and use blackface and play characters like that. That's messed up. That's taking advantage of the situation. Robert Downey Jr., his character is the one that in the movie is panned by his peers because they're like, dude, what the fuck? You're a white guy playing, you know, in blackface. This is racist. And he doesn't get that until the end of the film when he finally does realize that this is messed up and that he doesn't even know who he is. So if you're angry at Robert Downey Jr. and you're signing these like dumb petitions that you see online, you clearly haven't done the work, you clearly haven't done the research, and you need to grow up a little bit and educate yourself. So with that being said, this movie's hilarious, and you really do need to watch it because it's fucking really funny. Okay, so that is my Comedy Era 10. We're down 40 movies. I told you I was going to make these the, the next 80 fast, and that still rings true. So this next 10... Okay, I'm, I'm calling the unique 10. These are 10 movies that's really hard to find what category they fit in because they kind of are out on their own to be very different films. And to me, they're uniquely crafted and I love them because they're just so different. Maybe they're in because of an acting performance. Maybe they're in because of the concept of the movie or just uh, the direction that's used. So here we go. The unique 10. I'm going with The Truman Show. Whiplash, The Social Network, My Cousin Vinny, Dirty Dancing, The Matrix, Inception, Wet Hot American Summer, American Psycho, and Ghostbusters. Okay, you're not going to find many groups of 10 movies like that. It, it, let's just, you know, put that out there. But this is why. These are 10 movies that really, they don't, they fit multiple categories. They fit multiple reasons of why they're on here. So, The Truman Show. We reviewed this recently. Uh, Sam and I watched it. It is. Uh, it was on our list of 100 uh, movie bucket list. There's a. There's a bunch of those actually on on my top 100. But um, the Truman Show. It's one of my favorite concepts in any movie ever. I thought Jim Carrey like it. It was his first performance to me where he wasn't like the 90s slapstick comedy Jim Carrey, which he did so well. Like he was killing it in a, in the Ace Ventura movies in Liar Liar, in all of those movies where he was the arms are everywhere Jim Carrey, that was great for him, but The Truman Show was a little bit of a step out. I thought Truman Show, the concept is so cool. It's such like a great movie to debate about like what is going on. And the movie itself, I thought like, yeah, you could probably do it better, you know, because it's like the acting performances are pretty good. The direction of the movie is pretty good. It's the concept of it that really sticks out. And then I thought the interaction between Kristoff and Truman at the end of the movie, I think the music in the movie is really good. And I think the way, the scene when you get Truman meeting his father again and they cut between Kristoff's direction and they cut between the interaction um, with, uh, was it Merrill and, uh, or Merle, I forget his name, and Truman, the way they're jumping back and forth between that, where it's supposed to be this very vulnerable moment for Truman, and he's really like respecting his friend's opinions, and he, and his friend even says, the last thing I want to do is lie to you, and he's like trusting him, and he's and he's like falling into his arms at this moment, and it's all, it's all manipulated, and it's all created by Kristoff, and I think that's such an 
awesome scene. And I think that's so impressive and everything about it. I'm like, this is one of my favorite movie scenes ever. I love and appreciate everything that goes into just the creation and manipulation of everything that Truman's life is. And you can, you can summarize that whole movie up in that one scene. Because you really get everything about Truman's life and that he doesn't know and he thinks he's going crazy and he thinks everything is about him and, and he's like, please tell me I'm wrong. And then the one person he tells is is like, is like you are wrong, man. Trust me. And that's his whole world. So I can't say enough about Truman Show. I could go on for a long time talking about the Truman Show. I would love to talk more about it. But I have just so many movies to get to. So I really want to like put a pin in it. But it's such a great debatable movie and I always, I always thought this would make such a great HBO miniseries. Make it a one season, ten episodes, to have your own version of the Truman Show. I think, I think they could do wonders with that. And uh, and that's like my one critique is I'm like the Truman Show. I wish it was a TV show instead because I want to get multiple episodes because I think they really can expand on that. And if you dig into the characters, the actors that are portraying actors. Uh, I, I think that'd be really great. So, uh, anyway, that's the Truman Show. I don't want to get into all of these this long. Okay, um, Whiplash. Again, uh, and last thing on Truman Show. I'm really sorry. Uh, I did do a paper on this in college in my religion and old or Old Testament and film class, where you make connections between uh, the Bible and films. And this one was such a layup because there was so much going on with Christoph, which is like the name Christ is in there, and he created this world. And Truman, the true man, there's a lot. There's a lot there. So if you ever want to debate this movie and talk Truman Show, I'm all ears. Okay, next one is Whiplash. Again, Whiplash, super intense movie. You guys know I really like those intense scenes. I like movies where you kind of have like a um, an antihero, someone to root for, but at the same time he's like. He's a bad guy, but he's not really a bad guy. He's, you know, and J.K. Simmons, his performance as Fletcher in this movie uh, gets this movie in. It's the best performance I've ever seen in any movie, period. And it beats out a few I said earlier. I like, uh, I mean, I loved Quentin Jaws, right? Quint is awesome in Jaws. Uh, Michael Madsen in Reservoir Dogs. You have, uh, there are so many to me, you know, even Patrick Swayze in Point Break, I thought was like the perfect character, and he really nailed everything about this. And there are so many Quentin Tarantino movies that I could be mentioning, or Tim Robbins in Shawshank, even Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. We all we all love ourselves some Jeff Goldblum. Uh, kind of joking there, but so many good acting performances through the years. I think J.K. Simmons in Whiplash, it's it's my favorite. It's the best. He really drives this movie, and for a movie that almost didn't get made because of uh, the fact that it was just like a short at Sundance, I might be getting those details like slightly off, but I'm pretty sure it was just like a 20-minute short at Sundance, and uh, it got bought and turned into like a real movie. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I think that's so cool that like this was a very low-budget film, and it was carried by J.K. Simmons. Uh, I did think, and I, I haven't been the um, the biggest fan of Miles Teller in years past, but I did think he did a really good job in this movie, and I'll give him credit. Uh, it's it's great. You don't have to be into jazz or you know competitive music to to really appreciate this movie and what these people put in. Uh, you know, 
to, to basically for their careers. And J.K. Simmons' best performance I've ever seen as an actor, and it was in a supporting role too, nonetheless. Next up is the Social Network. Uh, again, you know, you really, I really appreciate Aaron Sorkin. I think uh, his films are so interesting and, and well crafted. And I don't think uh, anyone really dislikes the Social Network. I think some people kind of got tired of it, but. I think you know when this movie came out, it really was like very different, and I I just love the uniquely crafted Sorkin type film. I uh, I've never been a, you know I never watched uh, West Wing, which I think was like his like big like splash onto the scene, which uh, I kind of want. You you watch West Wing? Oh, Sam loves West Wing, so there we go. Um, I think I got to check out West Wing now because I, I've had a couple of good. Uh, recommendations from it and i think uh, i need to check it out but sorkin this was kind of his submission into the list sorkin he might appear later on here i thought uh i thought this was just a great movie altogether and uh it's one that every time it's on i do want to watch because i just appreciate uh the acting and the intensity through the background music like kind of like the score uh my cousin Vinny. okay uh probably not a lot of people's 100 best movies but Marissa Tomei, Academy Award-winning actress for this film, Joe Pesci had to tone it down a little bit because this wasn't him being able to curse as much as he does in other movies. But this was a movie that, to me, it was super funny, and we, we watched as a family. I got to watch it at my grandparents' house or my Uncle Jay's house. Like This was on a lot. And to me, I always found this like really funny movie, even though it's not in like those classic comedies and it doesn't really get considered that. But I got to include my cousin Vinny. It had to be on this list somewhere. Uh, Dirty Dancing, yeah, Dirty Dancing's great, and uh, I, I, we watched how uh, or the movies that made us, which is a series on Netflix, and it covers movies basically from the eighties on, uh, you know that, and, and how they got made and what went into the making of them, and the Dirty Dancing episode was probably our favorite when we watched it. It was so cool watching, you know, the low budgetness of the film. The fact that Patrick Swayze almost didn't get cast in the movie, that they wanted Sarah Jessica Parker to get the lead, uh, that they thought Billy Zane might be the lead uh, actor in it. A lot of crazy things. They had to film at two different camps based on camp schedules. And it's just, it's it's so cool, like all the different things that go into it. I'm sure I'd love to hear about more of those things in different movies because I bet I'd appreciate movies more. And I bet everyone listening would if we got to hear these other things that go into movies and what makes them. Uh, you know, Patrick Swayze basically was on bum knees dancing in this movie too. And when he did his final jump scene, they had to rehearse that so many times. And he turned to the director at one point and just says, listen, man, this is the last one I'm doing, so you better get it. And the last one that he did was the one they used in the film. So I think that's really cool. Uh Aside from the making of it and all the interesting things that went into the production and everything that made this movie, I do really like the movie. I think it's really underrated, and I think if you're just going to chalk it up to a um, romance film about dancing and there's nothing more to it, you're severely mistaken and you haven't given this enough chance. Like, Dirty Dancing deserves your attention. Uh, next up is The Matrix. Okay, uh, upon rewatch, this wasn't as good. Okay, but it was very innovative and it has another great concept. At the time that this movie came out, The Matrix was a complete game changer. People started talking about the simulation and The Matrix being an 
actual possibility for life itself which like is ridiculous to think about that like a movie could like do that but people have talked about like you know they're they're making well, we watched palm springs just last night and he talks about how he's like oh maybe it's a glitch in the system uh maybe this is like you know just the reality we're we're set to live in for the rest of our lives and i'm like i'm like yeah that's like it's the matrix but some people actually believe that to be a possibility regardless of that I think it's a really cool concept. I think it's it's a, a very fun action movie. And the slow-mo changing of the camera that they did, this was a huge step in film. So I think based on that alone, it deserves to be on my list. Because when you saw the trailer for this movie and Neo was dodging the bullets, everyone was like, what? This is possible in movies? And when he jumps off the building and the, and the ripple between the windows... All of these things were brand new, and it was huge, and it was unbelievable, and everyone had to see it on the big screen. Uh, you know, does it hold up exactly the same? Like, no, but it, this broke barriers. This broke ground. This was huge. So that's why the Matrix is on here for me. Again, another Keanu. You know, he's going to be on here a lot. Next up is Inception. For those who have seen Inception, you know why it's on here. It's such a cool movie. It's a little long. It has like some longer pause in it, but uh, I mean, Chris Nolan, dude, is phenomenal at making movies, and he's on here a couple times. Uh, I don't want to spoil Inception because of people that might be in the room right now might want to see it one day. But it's so good. I think uh, the Dom Cobb character is great. I think Michael Caine. I think jo uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, Ellen Page are really good in this movie. But it's one of those movies again. Where it's on here based on the concept, but this concept not only you know the fact that you can give someone a dream and make and give them a new reality, um, you know, not only is the concept cool, but the execution of this movie was was flawless, and it's one of the straight up best movies. Period. It's so good, uh, so it's clearly on this list. All right, next up is Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, I think this movie doesn't get nearly enough credit. I think this is a great comedy, and it deserves more attention than it gets. It is a great cast of, of actors that almost none of them had much street cred before this movie came out. Uh, if anything, a couple of them were just like, oh, they're on Saturday Night Live, right? But it's not even like after their appearance. Like, like this was... This was Amy Poehler like before she made it on SNL. This was Paul Rudd when he was basically the guy in Clueless, and that was it. Uh, there are a lot, you know Bradley Cooper before he was Bradley Cooper, and a lot of people that like you know you see you're like Michael Ian Black, and you're like I know that guy. I don't know his name, but you know he's really funny. Wet Hot American Summer is really great, and you know they've had a lot of spinoffs. They've had like three movies and a TV show that. None of it has really landed, but the quirkiness and the like sporadicness, I really do like that. And I love the fact that this is like an ensemble and how like it's really hard to pick a main character. I, I like when movies are able to execute that. I think that's really good. Okay. Uh, and to finish up this list, I want to get this quick. I got American Psycho and Ghostbusters. Uh, Christian Bale and American Psycho. Again, love the concept. Love the book. And just love the performance from uh, from Christian Bale. I, I like that his creepy narration and the fact that you never really know what's going on in his head. It makes this movie all that much scarier because you do respect the threat 
of this psychopath. And I, I think that alone, I'm like, wow, love this movie. I think it, I really appreciate the acting in it. And Christian Bale, it's why he's one of the best. And Ghostbusters, you know, for like the very opposite reason, uh, the fact that they take something scary and make it humorous. It's Bill Murray at his finest. I really love Dan Aykroyd. This was another one that it was on the movies that made us. It's a good episode. It wasn't the best episode they have, but it was really cool seeing, you know, how this movie got made and the fact that it was Dan Aykroyd's like pet project because of his family being super into the paranormal. I was like, I didn't know that. That and the fact that they were supposed to get Chris Rock in the cast. Or not Chris Rock, I'm sorry, uh, Eddie Murphy in the cast. Sorry, going from one SNL alum to the other. And But that fell through, and Bill Murray was kind of like their backup plan, but it was a huge get. And Harold Ramis was kind of like a last-second addition. There are so many really cool things about this movie. And it's just another one where it's like, okay, does it hold up? Not really. They're trying to remake the... They re remade the movie with all-female cast, and like, unfortunately... And it was none of the actresses' faults. It was just the it just didn't work. The glue didn't set in. And uh, they're gonna make a sequel. It was supposed to come out basically like last weekend, but uh, because of COVID, everything gets delayed. And I think Ghostbusters is delayed till next summer. But you have, you know, Ghostbusters is a classic. It's a Halloween classic. It's it, it to me. It's just very nostalgic, and that's why it's on here. Okay. So that is the uniquely crafted ten. Uh, you know, I, I had a couple notes on them, but I do think you know the the, the Whiplash, J.K. Simmons, that needs to be appreciated because it was one of the best performances I've ever seen. Period. You know, not much you know to say there. Okay, next up is the Sports Ten. All right, these are ten movies that basically you know these are sports films. It's it's really not really nothing to say there. Okay. Got to remember the Titans, Major League, The Replacements, Field of Dreams, Rudy, Jerry Maguire, Tin Cup, Friday Night Lights, Caddyshack, and Moneyball. That's not to say there will be no more sports movies. There might be a couple more sports movies here, but these were just the 10 films that I had 10 spots for sports movies. And who was I going to put in automatically right off the bat? And these were them. So, again, remember the Titans. It's the best sports movie, period. Uh, it teaches a great lesson. It's good for all ages. Multiple generations like this movie. It's a great acting performance by Denzel Washington. It's a great acting performance by Wilt Patton. And it's young Gosling before he was Gosling. And it teaches a lot of things that, you know, this movie came out in the 90s. It was based on a story from the 60s, 70s era. And we could still use that teaching today in terms of equality and racism and and everything that we're dealing with right now. It's like, man, you know, I think, a, a, I think everybody needs to watch Remember the Titans. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. It is a 100 and it is the perfect sports movie and... Every time someone's like, what's the saddest movie death ever? I'm like, saddest movie death is just Jer Gary Bertier's lower half. Uh, it's it's when he gets in that car accident and the following scene at the hospital when Denzel and, and everyone is there waiting and Julius shows up and Julius wants to know what happened to him and if he's going to be okay and they're telling him. I'm like, I'm crying every time. It gets me. It's it's such an emotional scene because you just see how far everyone's come. And I think they do such a good job of character building while not making it like a super long movie. 
And I don't know. It's it's it's. I think it's a really important film. I think everybody needs to see it. And it's the perfect, like, Friday before vacation, and the teacher rolls out the movie, uh, the tel- the TV on the movie cart. That's the movie I want to see. So shout out to any of my friends that are teachers that made that their movie that they they put on before summer vacation or Christmas vacation or whatever for the kids. Thank you because you the real MVP. All right. Uh, next up is Major League. I'm sorry. I, I will get through this faster. Major League. I mean, aside from the fact that the Cleveland Indians and and Charlie Sheen and all the you know the ties to me of why I like it. It's a great movie. It's really funny. Uh, it was so funny that they made a second one, but they were like, this now needs to be for all ages, so cut out all the F-words. And like, well, <laughs> Major League Two's not going to be funny. But it's a great story about a bunch of underdogs, a bunch of either has-beens or never was-is. And I, I just, I love all the characters in the movie. I like that everyone has their own story and about how, really, sometimes you only get one chance and, you know, and I think that defines a lot of the characters in this movie is like, this is their one chance and they're doing it for themselves, but they realize like they need each other to get there and uh, it's cool. And they beat the Yankees. How awesome is that? So uh, it's a great film. It, it gives me chills every time. Uh, next up is The Replacements. This is on nobody's list, but I love the corniness of this. To have a good sports movie, you need to have corniness. And I, I understand that that's like contradictory to what makes a good movie. But in sports, you need like corniness. You need that. You need something like because that's what makes a good sports movie is like, you know, you're rooting for the underdog. You're rooting for the team that didn't have a chance or, um, you know, people that were said that they they it would never happen type thing. And even about the great teams, the movies that are about great teams. They still had to be given no chance like that. Remember the Titans team? It was like one of the best high school football teams ever. But, it, you know, they crafted the movie to make it like, hey, they were given no chance because it was black and white and everything that was going on in the beginning of the movie. The replacements, I mean, it's right in the title. It's replacement football players. It's guys that were, you know, it's basically major league, but in football. Wow, I never even realized that until right now that the replacements is basically major league, but in football. Um, and it's it's funny. It's Keanu Reeves being another Ohio State quarterback, like he was in Point Break. But don't worry, it's not like the same. I've I've seen the theories. I've seen the theories that Johnny Utah and Shane Falco are the same person, but that wouldn't make any sense because they would be what a quarterback two different time frames at Ohio State. No, doesn't make sense. Regardless, love the movie, love the quotes, love the corniness, and it was you know I, I love this movie. So uh, next up is Field of Dreams. Again, this is one that I want to leave in the past. I don't want to watch this movie again because I might realize that it's kind of boring and that it's not really that much of a sports movie as much as it is like a father-son movie. Uh, but I do appreciate that. And at the end of the, the movie, it's it's a tearjerker when he finally meets his dad and, and they have that moment and they realize who they are and, and you know the mistakes that they've made in their past. I, I think that's great and it like you know it makes me tear up a lot. But the movie is kind of boring. I'll, I'll say that. But to me, it's just important. And uh, I don't know. It's a movie that I liked growing up early on. And we watch a lot in my house. So Field of Dreams is on here. Rudy. Again, ultimate underdog. is Rudy Rudiger. True story. Details fabricated. Maybe a little bit. But this is a little guy who got into Notre Dame. One of the best schools in the country. And followed a dream. And he is the ultimate 
he is the literally true story of don't let people tell you what you can't do. And if you want something bad enough, go out and do it yourself. Uh, I think this movie teaches a lot of good lessons that go well beyond the football field. The score of the movie is wonderful It's uh, as well. I think the acting performances by... Uh, the by Era Parsesian and by I mean clearly Sean Astin's great in it. You got Vince Vaughn, small little role in it for Vince Vaughn, but uh, I think this movie just it really hammers home the don't let people tell you what you can't do because nobody said he can get into Notre Dame and and the first half of the movie is him trying to get into Notre Dame and when he finally does, everyone's like, well, you're never gonna make the football team, and he finally makes the football team and they're like, all right, well you're on the team but you're never gonna make the field. Spoiler alert. That's how the movie ends. He makes the field. But, like, it's it's a great movie. And for people that don't like Rudy, I'm like, you either hate Notre Dame or, uh, I don't know, you're kind of like a wet blanket. Uh, Jerry Maguire, my next one. This one's great. I think, uh, you know, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. as Rod Tidwell is one of my favorite sports performances. Uh, he's, anytime they're like, build your movie sports team. I'm always starting with Rod Tidwell. You know, there are a thousand good movie quarterbacks. I'm like, you could give me Keanu Reeves as Shane Falco or Johnny Utah in like the last round, but give me Rod Tidwell uh, because he, I, I love him in this movie. And this is another one that it just shows it's a good story about an agent and how he has to learn from his ways of being the super agent. And early in the movie, he realizes he's wrong. And then the rest of the movie, he has to prove to himself why he was wrong. And it's kind of cool that they start the movie with kind of like that final concept because he just has that epiphany one night in the hotel and writes his, I don't know what he says, not his memoir, but his his like magnum opus and passes it around. And the guy in like the, the Kinko's, the uh, paper store, tells him, he's like, he's like, that's what putting your balls out there means. And it's like, it's funny, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I can I can kind of relate because sometimes you just you have an idea, you have a thought, and all you want to do is just tell everyone, and you want to put it out there, and that's what I kind of feel like with my podcast sometimes. And I some I just want to put it out there, and I want everyone to hear it, I want everyone to see what I have to say. So I feel like that's like kind of that first scene of Jerry Maguire as he's like he's sick to his stomach, and he has this thought in his mind, and he puts it on paper. Now it kills him, but it eventually saves him, and it gives him this opportunity of a lifetime to really just like learn more about like humanity than the industry so it's a good movie um and again it's usually not on these top 10 sports movies lists uh next up is tin cup a great costner film and one of the best sports movie endings actually no it is the best sports movie ending i'm not going to get into the ending because that's actually one i really don't want to spoil for anyone but tin cup is great there are there are surprisingly good amount of golf movies you know, whether you lean uh, Caddyshack or Happy Gilmore or, or, you know, or wherever, uh, maybe Legend of Bagger Vance. But to me, Tin Cup is one of the best ones and it never gets enough play. Uh, another underdog story. Maybe this says more about me just being into these underdog stories. Like, that might be a thing. You know, maybe that fact that I've always rooted for, like, Cleveland sports teams. And then I'm like, huh, Jake, you really, like, side with these, like, underdogs. But I do feel like that is a very common common thing in sports movies even the ones i don't like where it's like the you know bad news bears or like little big league or the rookie those are all underdogs i don't like them so um but yeah with with uh with tin cup a guy who like you know he couldn't hack it 
He was used to be a great golfer, and he had his parallel, made it big, and has won tournaments. And he never got past being basically a, a, a you know, a, a pro at a, uh, you know, or you know, at like a rinky dink golf course in somewhere in Texas. But it's a great film. It it's another one that's got a really good score, and I love the give and go he has with his caddy in the film. Uh, it's it's really good. It, I think everyone needs to see it. I don't think enough people have seen Tin Cup, and I think it's a, it's it's an important you know sports movie. If you if you like sports movies, you got to see Tin Cup because the ending of Tin Cup blows you away. All right, next up, Friday Night Lights. Just watched this like last week. Sam and I put this on because we we're like, you know what? what? What do we want to watch? Do we really want to get into like a new movie? Do we really want to? And I was like, I don't know. And then Friday Night Lights just like popped up, and we're like. Do you want to watch it? I was like, yeah. And put it on. I'm like, man, I love this movie. This came out right when I was starting high school football, too. So, like, couldn't have had better timing. You know, I was a freshman at RBC when Friday Night Lights came out. And I was like, all right, I'm only, like, five games into my football, high school football career. And this movie comes out. And it made me, like, pissed that New Jersey didn't treat football the same way Texas does. Uh, I love the music in this. It's so good. Uh, and they carry that over into the... Um, and into like the TV show too, they have like very similar music, not the same, uh, like but uh, but it's very similar. It's such a great story. I know uh, this isn't another one where it's like an underdog, even though they started the season as like the ultimate favorites because they have Booby Miles, but then Booby gets hurt and they become underdogs and kind of like work their way that way. Uh, another really great sports ending, uh, but. You know, unfortunately, this one, it doesn't go the way of the good guys, and you wish they won. Uh, but again, I think that's kind of important for some sports movies to end where they don't become the victors because, you know, not all the time do you come out on top. It's got a great speech in the movie. If I love the action scenes and, like, the football scenes itself. It makes me, like, really pumped to watch football again. Uh the, like, one qualm I have is the fact that it's like you're watching the movie and it's like, okay, the guy's tackled at the 10. And then, like, the next play, uh, it's a 15-yard completion, but this one's to, like, the, the 15. And you're like, all right, I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, I've played football. I'm like, this doesn't really add up. But that's really one of the only, like, qualms I have with the film. Uh, it's, it's so good. Okay, last two sports movies. You have Caddyshack and Moneyball. Uh, again, I said it, you know, Caddyshack is like one of the all-time like uh, sports comedies, I guess. Uh, it's an all-time comedy for me. And, uh, it, you know, again, another great golf movie. The, uh, the, the scenes, any of the scenes with the judge is so great. Uh, I love when people make fun of him. I think those are some of the best impressions. And his character is so over the top. It's really, it's really funny, though. And it, the movie itself, you know, like, I, I don't care much for Danny Noonan. I, I, I like just the surrounding characters a lot more. And it's just a, it's a classic to me, though, at this point. And it's, it's, it's such a weird movie when you think about it. But it's really funny. And, and it's definitely on my list, no doubt. And the last one is Moneyball. Again, this one, it's hard to make sports movies this serious and be it about you know, it's weird that they made the Oakland A's of 2002 an underdog movie. Like, yes, they lost Jason Giambi, they lost Jason Isringhausen, and, and they lost uh, Johnny Damon. 
That team had the MVB, Miguel Tejada, and they said his name one time, and it was when they're telling him not to steal bases. That movie had Eric Chavez. They never said his name in the movie. And they had Barry Zito, Mark Mulder, and Tim Hudson. Probably the, th- the greatest triple threat at the start of a rotation, I don't know, since the Braves of the 90s. And it's like they tried to make this team seem like a ragtag bunch of people. And it's kind of funny that they make it look like that because I'm like, wow, that is not the story of the O2As. Like, or 03 A's, whatever season it was. Like, that A's team was so good. I was like, okay, do they have enough firepower to beat the Yankees in the playoffs? Even though Jason Yami was going to the Yankees, they were still as good, which was super impressive. And I don't want to take away from that, but it was just like, to me, that was always funny. Regardless of that, I think Brad Pitt was really awesome as Billy Bean. I think it tells such a cool story and it tells my belief of sports which in, is that it's all about value and that you need to capitalize on, yes, a player is lesser than a certain player, but if player A costs a certain amount of money and player B costs a certain amount less, you can take less production for a, a cost. And I always have believed in that. And when I read the book, I was like, I was like, I was blown away. I'm like, what? Yes, this is what I've always said. This is what I believe in. Like, like, you can't afford the best player at every position. You just can't do that. That's not real. It's not realistic. Like, like not everyone is the New York Yankees where you can just pay everybody and just be like, we need a better third baseman. Let's go be- get a better third baseman. We need a better relief pitcher. We're just going to buy the best one we can get. Like, that doesn't exist everywhere in sports. So the fact that, like, there was a book out there that was defining it, I was like, I read that book three times in one summer. I was in love with it. And... And then when the movie came out, I was like, I have to see this movie. And I loved it. I love the concept. I love the fact that this is my belief in sports. And that's why it's in my top 100 movies. So, so okay, that's my sports 10. We are making our way through this list. Uh, there are, you know, there are a lot of sports movies that couldn't make this list. Now, I don't want to give anything away because there will be a couple more. But it is important to remember that not all sports movies are on here. So, all right, the next 10, this is going to be like the war, action, adventure, comic book movie 10. All right, so we're starting. And this is where I get a little loose with my uh, my rules. You're going to see in just a second. And if you have to criticize me, so be it. Take it up with the producers. All right, war, action, adventure, comic books. The Patriot. Saving Private Ryan. The original Star Wars trilogy. Avengers Infinity War slash Endgame. I'm counting both because it was originally intended to be a part one, part two. National Treasure. Die Hard slash Die Hard 3. I'm cutting out Die Hard 2. I don't need it. Thor Ragnarok. The John Wick trilogy. Twister. And the Captain America trilogy. Okay. Elephant in the room. I said trilogy a lot there. So that's like me making basically 20 movies where 10 is. But I feel like a lot of times these movies that were intended to be a trilogy, I can't count on their own. So, you know, Captain America, that, you know, and Star Wars, those are two movies where like I could have picked the first one and I would have been really happy. But like it doesn't tell the whole spectrum if I don't include the second and third one. So I was ready to include Captain America and I didn't know which one I wanted to include, so I was just going to include one of them. But I'm like, you know what? This is my show. This is my podcast. This is my list. 
going to do what I want, and I'm including the trilogies. I think the Captain America trilogy is by far the best of any of the Marvel trilogies. I think you go from the first movie where you're like, wow, that was awesome. I love this. It took place in the 40s, and I still love it. But it led into the Avengers, and I thought that was great. And then the second one comes out, and you're like, okay, this is actually the best movie of the bunch. And it still ends on a cliffhanger because you don't know what's going on with the Winter Soldier and what's going on there. But it's the actual best one. And then Civil War, it was a mini Avengers movie because it was a huge team-up film. And while on a, upon a second rewatch, I was like, okay, it's not that. It's not as good as the first two. But it's like, wow, it just tells such a great like story arc of Captain America and, and where he like you know had to go in his life and what he the decisions he had to do. I love those Marvel movies. I can talk about them for days. Uh, the Captain America ones are special to me too. Uh, the John Wick trilogy. There is just straight up no better badass than John Wick. When it's the movie badass trilogy, the John Wick movies are so cool. The first one's probably the best movie. The second one has the most awesome deaths. And the third one has the best scene, which was the knife scene at the beginning of the movie. The fight choreography in these is phenomenal. Uh, I know a lot of people kind of make fun of like Keanu Reeves in these movies. I don't know why. I don't get it. I think he plays a character, and he plays the character well. So I don't see why people have to like make a big deal about it. I think he does a great job. Instead, like people snicker and laugh, and I, I don't understand. He plays the John Wick role really well, and you gotta see these movies. If you like action movies, these movies are second to none. Okay, um, not a trilogy, but Twister. I mean, what other movies does Intense Weather is like the reason that it's a PG-13 movie? Uh, <laughs> Twister was a scary movie to me when I was growing up, and it was one of the ones that I was like allowed to watch a lot, though. So this has a big nostalgia factor for me, kind of like The Negotiator, kind of like Field of Dreams, where it was a VHS that we played a lot in my house. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, it's my, it's, I, I don't know if I can say it's my favorite Marvel movie, but it is the one that surprised me the most because Thor was okay, Thor 2 stunk, and then they went a completely different direction for the third Thor movie, Thor Ragnarok, and I was like, holy crap, they, they gave Thor new life. They did so well in that that they took the one hero that they're, you're ready to write off and you're ready to just end his trilogy and they started a brand new trilogy. And he they signed on Chris Hemsworth to do more movies where, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, those guys are done. Chris Hemsworth, he's like, hold on, I'm doing more. I'm jumping in Guardians movies. I'm jumping in more Avengers movies. I'm going to make appearances. I'm going to hand off the hammer, but I'll still be around. So, uh, I'm really excited to see where Thor 4 more Thor goes to, Thor Love and Thunder, but uh, pretty pretty pumped about Ragnarok. I think this was another big splash for Taika Waititi. People started to really take him seriously after he fixed Thor. Okay, so Die Hard. Uh, I was originally just going to have Die Hard on here and have Die Hard with a Vengeance take an additional spot. Not going to do that. I'm going to have them share a spot, and I'm just going to leave out Die Hard 2. The original Die Hard trilogy. Um, I think Die Hard is so clearly better than Die Hard uh, 3. But I did want to include Vengeance because I thought Sam Jackson's character was great. I loved the Jeremy Irons riddles. I thought the cool aspect of them bringing it to New York 
that was a lot of fun and I was like, okay, this is somewhat relatable because they're doing a lot of, you know, telling, they go all around the city. Uh, they really like schooled me a couple times with some of the riddles and I, I just always found this movie super interesting. Um, it did kind of like fizzle out towards the end where I was like, it seems like they're kind of trying to rush this movie to an ending. But to me, this for a time in my life, I was like, this is a really cool movie. And of course, Die Hard, the original, like, I mean, again, this was on the movies that made us list. I might actually have every movie from that movies that made us on this list. I might. So, um, because there's only one left. So with Die Hard, you know, they showed the action sequences, the fact that they basically pulled Alan Rickman off of like the theater stage in like London. And this was his first major film. And he was supposed to be a terrorist bad guy of a huge action movie. And he kills it. Like, Alan Rickman, this is my favorite movie villain of all time, is Hans Gruber. And he kills in this movie. Uh, at this point, Bruce Willis had done nothing in his career to suggest he'd be an action hero. And he's now one of the most famous action heroes ever because of the Die Hard franchise. And it's got a lot of great quotes. It's got a lot of great shooting scenes. It's a super intense movie. And it's 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 basically the script of the modern day action movie. And I think that's important to include it. National Treasure, wow, great movie. Uh, Nick Cage at his cagiest. Uh, actually, no, he turns down the cagey for this movie. Uh, this is not my automatic bid for Nick Cage movies. Nick Cage actually will have another one on here. But it's a super fun like family movie with riddles and history. And I, I think it's a lot of fun for everybody. If you don't like National Treasure, I'm kind of wondering, like, I want to know why. I want, why don't you like a National Treasure? Like, that's a really good movie. It's really fun. And it teaches you a lot about American history that you you don't even know you're learning. And I think that's really cool. And another Harvard Keitel performance. He's, he's on here at least three times now. That's pretty cool. Avengers. Okay, I put in Infinity War and Endgame. It was originally supposed to be a part one, part two. Uh, I mean... In terms of movie theater experience, there was nothing like going to Endgame. There was a lot of hype for Infinity War. I was ready. I like when Infinity War came out and the trailers, everything going into it. I was like, spring 2018, Browns are gonna pick my favorite quarterback, and then Infinity War is gonna come out in the same weekend, and I'm gonna love both of them forever. And it's true, it happened. So that was that was big timing and it was awesome and i just met sam right around that time too so that was a big week in my life you know baker mayfield sam swayze infinity war a lot of really cool things going on but just the infinity war aspect that movie it was the culmination of 20 uh, um marvel movies and it was like all right we've built it up we've had multiple avengers we've had trilogies we've had so many things come out this is the time we strike we act we make it all work together and how do they do it nothing like this has ever been done before and they absolutely kill it they slam it home it's like oh my god they end it with a huge huge cliffhanger to see what's going to happen in the movie a year in the second part a year later it's a three-hour movie that isn't long enough it is it, everyone shares the screen so well. You have team-ups that you never thought would happen before where the Guardians meet Thor, then they meet Iron Man. And you have you know Spider-Man finally meets some other heroes and is teaming up with people. 
You have Doctor Strange finally meets other heroes. Uh, Captain Marvel comes into the second one. Uh, it, it, there, there are so many things that they have to do, and somehow they still do such a great job of getting everybody screen time and st- telling the story. Like they don't force anything; it just all comes naturally. And I think no one gives them enough credit for that. Like everyone that sees this is just like, okay, it's the comic book movie with most comic book people in it. Like, no, shut up, you're wrong. It's so much more than that. Respect it. They put in years, a decade of work to make it work, and it it was perfect. It was so good. And that was just Infinity War. That wasn't even the best one. Then a year later, Endgame comes out. And what do they do in Endgame? They tie, all, tie it all up together, but give it a good ending. They give it that superhero shot that everyone wanted. They, gave you, they finally gave you the Avengers Assemble uh, line that they teased like five times. Uh, with Captain America in in previous movies. They gave you a storyline that was like believable, yet uh, original. They introduced time travel without making it too crazy. They introduced the multiple universes, which they're going to have for now another decade of making movies and television shows, which they set up themselves perfectly for the future. They ended career arcs of Tony Stark and of... Uh, Steve Rogers which was so well, which is funny because they kind of ended on opposite spectrums where they started. You know, Tony was the, you know, all for himself. And then finally, you know, years later realized, you know, he died doing something for everyone else. Meanwhile, Steve Rogers started as the guy that would jump on the grenade for everybody else. But then come full circle, he's the guy that says, you know what? I'm going to call it quits and live my own life with my own girl. And that's what he does. And it, you're like, that's funny because like they're both the good guys. They both had just very com- diff- different ways to get there. Really cool. And I don't think people talk about that enough. But Endgame also does something where they loop in all of these great movies, all of these Marvel movies, and they made sure to represent every single one of them in Endgame. You know, there were 23 movies at that point, and they made sure they were like, we are going to draw something from every single one. We're going to make sure even that Hulk, the one that Mark Ruffalo wasn't even in, we're going to pull from that. We're going to bring up the gamma radiation and everything that happened in that movie. We're going to bring in, you know, Thor 2, the least favorite movie of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we're going to make that a key component with the pulling the ether out of uh, Jane Foster. I, I mean, they just did such a good job of bringing in all of that together that I, I could go on for days about it. I really don't want to make this a three-hour podcast, so I'll just leave it at that. But it, I, it had to be on my list. This Endgame is so perfect and so amazing. And you know what? For people to be like that, if that aren't into it, I really feel bad for you because you can't just watch this movie. It won't be the same. You had to have a decade of watching these movies when they came out and knowing what you're getting yourself into and waiting. The waiting is what made it that good. Okay, last couple of the war action adventure comic top 10. Uh, you got the Star Wars original trilogy. Again, so many good Star Wars movies. I could put, I could have just put uh, Empire on here, but it's weird to put an Empire and not have the movie that, you know, 
preceded it and the movie that ended the Skywalker trilogy. So I really wanted to have the original episodes 4, 5, and 6 on here. I think that's important. I didn't really like the original uh, or the um, the prequel trilogy that came out. I didn't really like those. Uh, the, the most recent trilogy that came out was pretty good. And I did also like Solo. Rogue One was awesome. And it's really hard to not have it on here. Uh, but you know what? It's just this is 100 movies. And, and I told my friends, you will get to 100 movies faster than you think. So appreciate the fact that there were a lot of good movies that were left out of this, including Rogue One. But the original Star Wars trilogy, I think it says it all. You have Vader. You have this, you know, the Skywalker storyline. And there, are, it, it just it tells a story unlike any other. In a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, not much more to say other than the fact that it's, it's Star Wars. Okay, Saving Private Ryan. It's the best war movie, period. It makes you tear up every time. You know, you, you really appreciate it. The opening scene of them on the Normandy beaches is quite possibly one of the most violent scenes in any movie. And... You know, from what people that were in the war actually said, is that it was as like realistic as possible, and that they were like this was scarily true, and it was just like this. And the fact that they could recreate that to the people that you know were saving us and saving and fighting for what they believed in, and they could recreate that, you know, sixty years later, uh, you know, is impressive, and I think that needs to be appreciated. The story is crazy, you know, the fact that they're going and searching for the fourth brother to make sure that their parents don't need to bury all their sons. But, you know, if you, you have to watch that beginning scene where he reads the Abraham Lincoln letter and uh, and you really get why it's happening. If you can connect to that letter and that scene, you do appreciate everything that goes into this movie. And finally, uh, The Patriot. This is a personal fave of mine. I love uh, the Patriot. I mean, for a revolutionary war, which like you know, the, you know the weapons in that were much slower. So like this was like a more boring war and stuff. But uh, they made this storyline about this father who loses multiple sons and who loses a wife and everything that goes into him. And Mel Gibson turns into an absolute lunatic in this movie, and you see it in his eyes. You're like, this is. This is beyond acting. This is a guy who's like fucking crazy, and I love it. Um, he in this movie, another one of my favorite acting performances ever, and I, I think the ghost scene where they, the, you know, he and his sons take out uh, the people that are holding Heath Ledger hostage. I'm like, wow, that part is insane. Then you have when Heath Ledger takes on, um, you know, the the like the special. Like red coats, that that was a whole nother like another great scene. I don't know. I, I can get into the movie for a while, but you know what? The Patriot. It's clearly on this list. Uh, it's such a good movie. Okay, so that rounds out that ten category. Uh, gonna take a quick little break to give my uh, my throat some some you know drink some water, drink some ice water, so I can finish up this uh, this list for you guys. So be back soon. All right, so that concludes that 10, the War Action Adventure Comic Book 10. Uh, the next category, we're getting towards the end here. These are numbers 71 through 80 on the list. 
Okay, so we're getting to the end. This is like my thrilling 10. All right, these 10 are thrilling movies. Uh, I know that's kind of like a open-ended genre because really a lot of these can fit a lot of different ends. But these are like, you know, movies that I find very thrilling, very exciting, and ones that just had to be on here for multiple reasons. So, The Thrilling 10, as stated. Deep Impact, Inside Man, Air Force One, The Fugitive, Casino Royale, Seven, Memento, Con Air, Django Unchained, and Inglorious Bastards. All right, so a lot, a lot to take in here because these are the ones that I think people will start to argue with me on. Okay, you had, um, you, you have okay. I'll, I'll get. I'll go one by one. Deep Impact. Big time scary movie for me when I was younger because I thought this was real and this was happening and it could happen at any time. Um, this edged out Armageddon. Armageddon was on this list with Deep Impact, but upon rewatch, Armageddon actually got bounced. It was in this category and I had to bounce it because, uh, frankly, Deep, Deep Impact is just so much better than it. And Armageddon, as much as I love the actors that are in it, and as much as I appreciate, you know, the, the, acting and and the story and the Michael Bayness of the movie it just doesn't it just can't hang and it can't be in my top 100 so deep impact it is and that's great you know Morgan Freeman is the president and he's a great president he's probably my favorite movie president and it's actually it's actually tough to say who my favorite movie president is so I don't want to jump the gun but he is the best movie president I'm definitely okay saying that Okay, so yeah, um, you know, without getting too into Deep Impact, this was just a huge movie for me. I think it's the best, like, end of the world movie that there is. Um, it, it's so good, and yeah, for disaster movies, it's it's top notch. It's like the disaster movie, and I love the disaster movie genre. And this is the automatic bid that disaster movies get in. You're gonna be seeing a lot of automatic bids that get in right about now. This is where this is where it came down to. Okay. Uh, the tiebreakers, you know, are you just another movie or are you in because of a certain reason? Next up, Inside Man. Did not win the Denzel automatic bid. This got in on its own. I love Inside Man. This is one of those movies where, you know, you have a lot of movies that you see it the first time and it's not really the same knowing the ending. You know, whether it's Gone Girl, whether it's uh, Gone Baby Gone, uh or or you know inside man like this one i i had to have a movie like that i had to have a movie where you don't know what's going to happen and the whole rush and the thrill is figuring it out the whole time and i think inside man is the best when it comes to that type of movie i think that's the best of the bunch so uh inside man is is on my thrilling top 10 okay um next up air force one Again, this this one hasn't aged as well. This is gonna we're getting into movies that this is gonna be kicking out other ones that might be slightly better. But this was when I was super into Harrison Ford movies. I thought he was the best. You know, talk about movie presidents. You know, it's hard to beat. You know, Harrison Ford basically kicking ass by himself. So uh, Air Force One we I rewatched recently with Sam because she had never seen it and she was like, eh, it's okay. You know, I can leave it. And I definitely agree it was much better when seeing it as a kid when I thought it was as badass as, as things get. Uh, the action genre has certainly come up a bit since then, but 
I need some Harrison Ford on this list. There, he was a, uh, you know, he's he was my favorite actor for a really long time. So, you know, adding Air Force One is a, is a is a no brainer. And then The Fugitive. This was my Harrison Ford movie growing up. Um, you know, it, this one is another one. Want to leave it in the past because it's definitely on the boring side of things. But to not have The Fugitive on my top one hundred would be very very terrible thing to do to young Jake. Young Jake loved The Fugitive, and I thought this movie was the world growing up, so need it on here. Okay, next up, Casino Royale. Again, this gets the automatic Bond bid. Um, there weren't a lot of spots on this list for Bond movies because I like a lot of them, I appreciate them, and it's just it's hard to get multiple ones on here, so I put one to represent the Bond genre, and Casino Royale, starring Daniel Craig, easily earns it. Uh, it's the best Daniel Craig one. I think it might be the the best one overall, but it's certainly my favorite. Um, it's it's a little on the long side, and there's certainly like it takes a while to get to the actual main plot. Like I could kind of do without the part in the Bahamas at the one and only Ocean Reef Club, but you know what? That's also really cool. It's a really cool scene, and you get to set up. You know, you get a very long setup of what an agent a double O does, and uh, you do really appreciate kind of like the agent aspect of James Bond. So. I do like having that in here, and uh, it's just a very intense movie. It's a super cool Bond movie, and I think it's like the quintessential uh, Daniel Craig Bond, and he's become my favorite James Bond. Next up is Seven. Wow, talk about uh, you know intense movies. This one, very gory, very violent, very bloody, and uh, it's certainly like got one of the best bad guys. I know it's creepy to put you know to. T- it's tough to really talk about Kevin Spacey, you know, because it's like, you know, the elephant in the room is he is who he is. Uh, so when he's in a movie for playing a bad guy, you know, you don't really want to praise him for playing a bad guy, but he, the guy can act, and he is a really good bad guy in this. Uh, he plays, there's a certain amount of uncomfort you have when you hear his character talk for the first time, and when you finally meet him, because you realize, like, you know, this guy is not all there in the head, and he is, and, and but he knows things and he doesn't he's not afraid of dying it's it's just a very uncomfortable setting in the movie and uh his bad guy is very very uh unsettling to say the least and it's got a very sad ending you know it's it, this is not a happy ending this is it's a it's a shocker and it is absolutely a huge like twist not to like give it up uh next up is memento great concept of movie another nolan ad this was obviously going to be on here because i just think it's such a you know a movie you could certainly talk about the story itself if you played this movie out like a simple just story of this guy who's trying to figure out who killed his wife and the twist at the end you'd or um or i guess the beginning you'd be like okay this is um like this (laughs) To me, this is like okay, like it's it's a pretty good movie on its own, but the when the way that Chris Nolan does this, where every time, I think his name's Leo in the movie, um, but I just call him Guy Pierce. Every time Guy Pierce like forgets because he has the short term memory loss, he cuts the scene, and he plays the scene before that. So this movie is going backwards. It's half black and white. It's half in color. 
and as the black and white catches up to the part in color, you see that like change. I think that's really cool film style that he did. I think this movie is so complicated to make, but he made a regular movie story into an absolute thriller. And the fact that there's a twist at the beginning, which is actually the end, and then there's also an, a twist at the end, which is actually the beginning of the movie, it's, it's incredible. You wonder what goes on and what's happening and why this is all going on. And, ha- and who to trust and who not to trust and, and how the good guy and the bad guy and which one is which. I don't want to give it away because I want people to see this movie. And I feel like not enough people have seen it. But Memento is so great and it does not get enough appreciation or talk. A lot of people... This is where some people will have Leon the Professional. Um, this is where a lot of people will have you know that like personal favorite thriller where like you know... It, one that kind of like sticks out to them maybe they'll have one that's like uh, the usual suspects or the prestige but to me it's memento that's what gets on here for like the mind bender uh, of the list okay uh next up is con air con air won the nick cagey uh it is it it it, it beat out snake eyes gone in 60 seconds and countless of other ridiculous nick cage movies uh, I had to have an automatic bid for Nick Cage. Uh, National Treasure looked like it was going to win an automatic bid, but it gets in on its own merits, as in at-large. And the Cage Tournament, it came down to not just the cagiest of movies, because he can be crazy in a lot of crap movies. It came down to what was a movie that I would also want to watch. And John Malkovich also needed to get on this list, so this was an easy selection for me. The Cagey was going to also be the Malkovich pick. I thought this was great. Con Air, not a great movie. Certainly not great, but love the performances, love the actors. Buscemi gets on this list again. We're up to four Buscemi movies, which is great. Um, Nick Cage, I mean, he is he is exactly what you go for the movies for. You want a little bit of overacting, but he delivers every time. Ving Rhames, also good in this, but John Malkovich, he's awesome. Uh, probably one of the best parts of Space Force, which you know is kind of an underwhelming show right now, but I think they certainly have enough to make a season two. So, uh, regardless, Con Air it wins the KG, it gets the automatic Nick Cage big. Congratulations! All right, um, moving on. The last two of the of the Thriller Ten, we got two Quentin Tarantino movies. Quentin Tarantino is cleaning up my top one hundred. Uh, clearly, the the best uh, the director here. Uh, you know, beating out Chris Nolan probably. Yeah, Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards. Uh, I'll start with Inglorious Bastards. I think it is the best Quentin Tarantino movie. I said earlier, you know, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs are both in my top ten, but I do think Inglorious Bastards is the best. It just doesn't, it hasn't aged as long as the others have. So maybe after a little bit longer, you know, it's been like ten years. So maybe it is, maybe it hasn't been ten years, but it's been a couple years. But I think the longer this one ages, people will realize just how good this one is. It's the best Quentin Tarantino movie. When it came out, I was like in utter awe of how good this was. Another Brad Pitt, by the way. Brad Pitt's made it on this list a bunch of times. And um, and yeah, it's it's just such a cool story. It's, a, it's weird to take something that happened in history and give it a different ending. But I think the way that Quentin Tarantino delivers it is just so cool. And that, like, it's like, okay, this is like an alternate universe of what happens in the war 
but at the same time, like, the same result happens. He just does it and tells it in his own way. Um, the intensity in the opening scene, you want to talk about, I said this earlier, I say you use milk, an innocent drink like a glass of milk, and you give it to a threatening bad guy, and it makes it so unsettling and so, it was definitely film enthusiasts that brought this up, it makes it so uncomfortable. And when Hans Landa, the, you know, the Jew hunter, is in that, you know, is at that Frenchman's house who he knows is harboring the Jews, and he sits there and he just has a glass of milk. There's something so unnerving about what's happening and what's going on in that scene that you're like, you really come to appreciate just what's going on. So love that. Love that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in any movie, period. That's what I got to do. I really got to do like a top 10 scenes of all time. So, uh, But Hans Landa showing up in the beginning of Glorious Bastards. That movie is chock full of great epic scenes. This was an easy choice. Easy choice. This is a this might be one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time it is very low on me on this list right now but it was only because i was giving a lot of credit to some previously uh you know movies that have been around longer django unchained another one this does not get a nearly enough love for a quentin tarantino movie but it is a cool story it is it's got a lot of good dark humor in it it's probably got the most dark humor of any of the Quentin Tarantino films. You know, I'm thinking back right now, I'm like, there's more comedy here than there is in Pulp Fiction or in Reservoir Dogs. There's more comedy here than the Kill Bill movies, and it's probably more than Inglorious Bastards. I'm willing to say that the, this is the one with the most comedy. It is dark. It, it, you know, it's got a ton of racism, so you gotta basically just, like, you know, eat that and just watch it. But... Jamie Foxx is so good in this because they don't ask him to do too much, and he does the Django part really well by not overdoing it. Uh, yeah, there was talk. This was supposed to be Will Smith. It, I think Will Smith would be too much for this. I think Will Smith would just he would try to make it his own thing. You know, I feel like Will Smith always needs to narrate in his own movies, and if he's not narrating, he just has that narrator's type voice, and I don't think that would work here. Um, I think Jamie Foxx plays this really well, and I think that Leo DiCaprio as Calvin Candy might be the best Leo DiCaprio like we've ever seen. He's so hateable and he's so good at it in this movie that he uses his own real blood to smear on Kerry Washington's face and she just has to go with it because he's in the moment. Like that's that is classic Leo DiCaprio. And there's not not much to say there. That's why this is in there. Okay. The next 10. We're in the 80s now. We're getting close to the end there. This is the Blockbuster 10, okay? These are 10 movies that it's like either I'm renting them at Blockbuster. This is a big ticket movie. This is a big summer movie. This is box office numbers. This is that flavor of the 10. And really, I just was running out of names to give 10 because especially since I was just rounding out the top 100 movies. Okay, so we got Titanic, Gladiator, The Dark Knight, The Departed, Castaway, Ocean's Eleven, Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, A Few Good Men, Goodwill Hunting, and Back to the Future. Okay, so a little all over the place here. I'll just start off. Titanic, Gladiator, and The Departed. Those are three of my 100 overall scores. I've only given out five of those ever, and three of them are Titanic, Gladiator, and The Departed. Basically, I don't need to go into it much. I've said it on Instagram plenty. Those are perfect movies. 
Uh, they're all different genres, but they are created. They there's so much good work put into it, and they deliver based on the film techniques that they're that are used. The acting is top notch and cannot be any better. The castings are great. The stories are great, and it's just epic. And they're big time award winners too, all of them. So you know, I, and I don't want to like all circle them up. I I gave every movie a chance to like you know explain. I've I've said much about Titanic. I've seen the making of it and just how much work Jim Cameron put into making this movie, and the fact that he basically created and built a ship so he could film Titanic, and he fil- and they made multiple sets that were slanted to film scenes where that were slanted. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong about this movie. It's a three hour movie. And it's the best love story of any movie I've ever seen, and it tells a story about a ship that sank. Like that's it's really not an interesting event, and yet everybody knows what the Titanic is. Like nobody should really care about what the Titanic was, but if you ask anyone what's what's the Titanic, they're like, oh, that's the ship in the early 1900s that was supposed to be unsinkable and it sank. Like there are plenty of ships that sank before. And there are plenty of accidents when it happened, but it's like, this is the one that gets a movie, and it's like, it does, and they deliver, and they've done so much in film in that movie that hadn't been done before that I really appreciate and get to 100. Gladiator, similar thing, you know, with, uh, you know, not Jim Cameron, but Ridley Scott, absolutely delivers. It is, it tells a tale of, of one man's journey from basically being uh, the general of an army and and how you know back then it's like you don't have id you don't have this or that if you get lost and you and you're hunted and and things might happen to you if you end up in the wrong place at the wrong time you basically become a slave and he has to fight for his freedom it is one hell of a movie and it is it's great joaquin phoenix with an with one of his best acting performances ever which is saying a lot because he's a hell of an actor and Russell Crowe is is incredible in this movie. It's a great ending. Even knowing what's going to happen, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat the whole time. And The Departed, I mean, come on. Departed is incredible. Uh, what a story. Hell of a story. But you get acting performances. It's you know, it's shot fine, but it's, it's the acting and it's the story that really carry this to new levels. And uh, another, Leo DiCaprio, he, you know, he's going to be on this list. Okay, um, next up, The Dark Knight. Again, I get a lot of shit for not giving this 100. I gave it a 99 because I do think, you know, of, like, some of the, I know there's a lot of aspects of superhero movies that you just gotta assume superheroes can make and, and, and you know, you just assume superheroes can get away with, but I can't make that a 100 when there are so many flaws in The Dark Knight for things that just, like, wouldn't have happened and they try to create the Joker to be this guy that plans on chaos and doesn't have a plan when in reality he has the most meticulous plan of any bad guy of all time so I felt like it was kind of misleading to make him out to be this chaos guy when in reality it's like there's bombs all over a hospital and he kidnaps soldiers and has and and has like a perfect plan of 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 what goes when and timers and things like that it's like it's like and he tries to play it off as a guy that doesn't have a plan. That's that's my only critique. That's why this movie isn't a 100 and it's a 99 because it is the best comic book movie of all time. It's so awesome. Heath Ledger is incredible. Christian Bale, obviously incredible. Chris Nolan, incredible. 
and the music. Oh, I, I'm like, if, if you could love sound, I love the sound in this movie that makes that they bring in on the Joker's like scenes when you know something bad is coming and that like long violin uh, like sound that gets louder and louder as it comes to the point you're like oh my gosh you're like waiting your heart is pounding and you're waiting for something bad to happen I love that about this movie and I think it's so good and it's just it's such an easy movie to be like the Dark Knight's on I'm watching like it's so good you don't even have to be into Batman. This movie, this movie doesn't even have to be about Batman. It just is about a bad guy taking over, basically a terrorist taking over a city, and and no one able to really stop him and not know what to do. Okay, um, Castaway, another Tom Hanks film. This uh, one of my favorite Tom Hanks films. We're talking about favorite Hanks films. This one, you know, it, it's. If you don't love Castaway, that's okay. Like I'm not gonna hold it against you. I just really love it because, you know, the transformation that Tom Hanks had to go through during this film. He lost a ton of weight and they had to take time away from filming to go do it. Uh, but you really do appreciate isolation and what life would be like without anybody. And Tom Hanks is just one of those actors where it's like, I only feel like the only other actor that could really do this movie justice is like Leo DiCaprio, maybe Denzel. But I think Hanks kills it in this, uh, on how like the movie starts. You just see, really, he develops into a guy that wouldn't know what to do living on an island. And four years later, how life on the island has really just become his thing. And the music in this one is also great. I, I that you're gonna see that in a lot of these movies that I picked. You're like, yeah, Jake loves music in movies, and like, yes, when that's delivered well, I, I really do appreciate that. Okay, um, Ocean's Eleven. The best heist movie, period. It's so cool. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just it's just so cool. It's such a cool plan. The characters are, are fun. Like, you know, like I, I do think like George Clooney, I'm like, I kinda get tired of how full of himself he is in these movies and how cool they make him. But uh, you know, that that is like the thing, is like he's supposed to be a cool bad guy, so I get it. But I love the plan, love the heist, I love the trick, I love the switch, I love the swap. Everything they do with the camera filming, the fact that they did it ahead of time, and all that stuff. I'm like, God, this movie is so cool. Like, it's just like, like that's it. It's just like one of the coolest movies on this list, and one of the coolest movies of all time. So, clearly on here. Okay, next up is Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. Again, this was a, kind of an at-large bid. You know, this was a, a cast-off of the Quentin Tarantino movies. I thought my, my list was done and filled with Quentin Tarantino. But towards the end here, we had a couple swaps. We had a couple movies drop in and out. And Kill Bill took advantage of that. It has one of my favorite action scenes of all time with the Crazy 88 uh, in Kill Bill Volume 1. And again, I love any Tarantino movie. I think he delivers on telling tales of of assassins. And I think he, those are so cool. And I think the bride, Uma Thurman's character, is like the best assassin he's you know basically created i think it's such a cool story but the fight choreography in kill bill volume one was really hard to leave off this list so that's why it's on here um you get that crazy 88 scene and just everything that goes into it it's it's such a great ode to kung fu movies and uh yeah it's a lot much appreciated over here okay next up is a few good men uh again this isn't really you know um Oh, okay, no, we're on the blockbuster, so that's fine. 
Um, a Few Good Men, one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies. Uh, probably my favorite Jack Nicholson movie. You know, it's a it's a tough call, but uh, between that and The Departed, I do love this. I think you know, I love the storyline. I I like the fact that like this guy kind of you know. By the end of the movie, by, he's a hotshot that turns into a guy that, like, he has to... It's very Jerry Maguire-esque of Tom Cruise, actually, you know, where he's, like, a hotshot at the beginning of the movie, but by the end he kind of, like, catches up to his morals and starts to believe in something more. So I do like that, and I see the parallels right now between that and Jerry Maguire. But I think this is great because, you know, you just get the... You get the the courtroom seed, which everybody knows, like, you can't handle the truth and that whole thing. And I think that's just premier acting at its finest, is those two guys going back at each other. Um, I think Kevin Bacon's really good in this movie. And it's a very cool story. And, and to me, I was like, when I first saw this, I was just like, wow. Like, like, blown away. Because I'm like, that is acting. That is great. I love it. I love this back and forth. Um, this dialogue that's going on, I think that alone keeps it in, in my top 100 is the dialogue. All right, next up, Goodwill Hunting. Again, this is a you know big time acting chops by Matt Damon. Matt Damon was gonna get one in here, and I didn't know how we were gonna you know choose between Matt Damon movies because you know Saving Private Ryan was gonna get it as a war uh, admission, but how was Matt Damon gonna be? What was gonna be the Matt Damon movie? Right, you know it wasn't gonna be We Brought a Zoo. <laughs> we bought a zoo. It wasn't going to be Talented Mr. Ribley, even though I like that. Um, this beat out The Martian, basically, as the Matt Damon uh, movie. I liked Ford Ferrari, you know? Uh, I liked Dogma. I liked, you know, he, he makes appearances in plenty of other movies that, like, you know, you know that, that are actually on here. He, like, has small appearances in Thor Ragnarok and things like that. But uh, I didn't include Interstellar. Uh, I didn't include... Oh, uh, well, well... What was the one I was thinking? Oh, Contagion is a good one. You know, he's got a big catalog, Matt Damon. But the one that sticks out to me is Goodwill Hunting, which should, because that was the thing that, like, started off him and Ben Affleck's career, right? You know, the two of them were basically young kids that were writing this movie and ended up winning Oscars for it. Uh, it speechless. And, and he was great. Matt Damon, he's a hell of an actor. I don't... <laughs> I don't think he gets enough credit for being like one of the best actors in the world. I really do think he's like, you know, right up there with Denzel and Leo DiCaprio. Like when Matt Damon makes a movie, you're like all eyes are on him. He's he's a big time, you know, big time actor when it comes. To that. I'm sorry, I'm I'm losing doing this for two and a half hours. I'm losing my mind here. So Matt Damon, this was his his act. You know his. His big time film to be putting in here. I'm sorry, guys. I'm really losing it. My bad. But I had to have a Matt Damon big time acting role here. So this was him. If you haven't heard, Matt Damon big time. But uh, uh, I'm happy to have him in here. Also, had to give up a little props to Rob Williams. This was his best acting performance. He had a great dialogue with Matt Damon in this. The fact that you got to really like understand that this kid. You didn't really know what was going on in his head, but as you, the movie goes down, he breaks him down a little bit, and he opens him up, and you, it really does... The ending feels earned. You really do feel like it takes a lot, and, and this kind of shows... Not mental illness, but maybe the the just what therapy can do for people, and it, it shows that it's not like you go to one therapist visit and things change. 
that these things are deep rooted and these are down under and and you have to really earn it to get the satisfaction of like opening up and i think this does a really good number on that and i i think the everyone that made this movie should be proud that they made such a great film okay and my final one in the blockbuster 10 is back to the future what's wrong with back to the future it is so cool it's one of the coolest movie concepts ever that you know again we don't know how time travel would actually work would uh, marty mcfly start to disappear probably not i'm thinking that's not how things would go uh, i think that they they kind of figured it out in endgame i think they got time travel right but considering that i'm not critiquing them based on what they think time travel would be like i'm critiquing the movie based on what they put on screen and it's it's a great movie i love that uh the music is great in it doc brown and marty mcfly's give and go is just so cool it's like one of the best movie duos or most iconic movie duos it's got some great scenes some great shots in it it's heavily heavily prominent on my uh instagram story feed for my 100 movies so uh i gave it only gave it a 90 though and i think that's way too critical i think i was just in a bad mood that day because uh back to the future is closer to a 100 than that uh, it's a, it's it's a great 80s movie. It is so cool, and uh, it earned it. It earned this spot. So, okay. Final ten, the last ten movies on my list. Okay, this is numbers 91 to 100. I will add 101. I I forgot about that. But uh, this is this is tough. This is the the only category for this is just last ten movies that made me okay and here we go all right the final 10 after i did a little bit of editing i needed to make sure i had this done so here we go the last 10 dumb and dumber guardians of the galaxy one and two uh the scream series liar liar home alone 2 just home alone 2 mystery men Heavyweights, Enemy of the State, Horrible Bosses, Just One, and My Best Friend's Wedding. Now, get into those. You know, you're going to see a little weird, and this is the last 10, so you'd be shocked if some of your favorites aren't in here, but I just want to go through a couple of them. Dumb and Dumber, this was a last-second ad. I didn't think I'd have it on here, but after moving a couple around, I decided, first of all, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, I'm counting that into the Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Indiana Jones storyline. That was a last-second decision. I know me and Brendan talked about this at Bill's Bachelor Party and that you could do without Temple of Doom, but you know what? I loved the three Indiana Jones movies growing up, so to have them all three is important to me. So that's why Raiders, as my number one movie of all time, it's able to loop in those other two, and I don't have to explain it any further. So all three of the original indiana jones that trilogy that's in there uh with that being said that opened up spot so dumb and dumber jumped in uh dumb and dumber it had been on my original top 10 comedy list for a long time but it just got passed up uh it you know that type of comedy isn't that great to me but it was so important to me for a really long time uh th that i thought you know what it, it, it needs to be on there it's huge for me uh and the other jim carrey one on here liar liar I mean, I think this is Jim Carrey's best performance. He really does this entire movie. Like, 
when you talk about movies and like how much it's one person, like my notes I put down that in Liar Liar, Jim Carrey was a cross between like Ted Williams batting 400 and LeBron carrying the Cavs, whether that's 2007, 2018, or whatever. Um, the movie was 100% him. It was incredible. It was all his performance. I don't know what he was on in this movie, but he really did deliver and carried the whole thing. So I got to give him credit for that, and it's on my list. Uh, okay, next up, the Scream series. Again, you know, I, I originally didn't have it on here, but after talking to Maggie, and she kind of convinced me, you know what? Maggie, she gets one movie. You know, she's my sister. We grew up watching movies together. I had to have something on here to represent her. It's not going to be Deep Blue Sea because that's more of Maggie's movie and not mine. It's not going to be one of those crap movies like Anaconda's 2, The Hunt for the Blood Red Orchid. I needed to have something good. And you know what? The Scream series, we just watched those movies so many times. Usually Scream 1, maybe Scream 3. Also Scream 4. We did really like Scream 4. But it's important to me to have Scream on there because this was a big part of my childhood too because we loved that movie. And it's done really well. And in terms of like the teen horror film type thing, the original Scream, really good. And uh, I like it as just an individual movie and not even just a scary movie. It is a little like corny at times or whatever, but hey, that's kind of that genre, so you gotta live with it. Uh, uh, Guardians 1 and 2, right? Okay, so this was a, this was a late ad. I loved the Guardians movie. It was... It was going to be hard to keep them off, so uh, but I, I was able to you know make sure they got in there, and I wanted to include you know since it's a volume type thing, I'm doing one and two. Uh, I I do expect three to possibly make a, a an appearance in here when that finally comes out because I just love this cast, I love the direction that these movies go in, and I think it teaches a really you know like a, a good you know father son type lesson in the. Both movies, even though his father doesn't show up until the second one, it just shows like, you know, what it's what his life was like without him. It's a kind of a tearjerker. These are all individuals who have lost in the past and and are on their own but needed to find each other. It's one of my favorite comic book movies, and I love that genre, so I needed to have it on here. And the second one, I thought it was a little bit of a step down, but upon a rewatch, it was really good. And uh, Mike Scott convinced me maybe that one is the better of the two. So. It's hard to really decipher which one. Also, great movie soundtrack. Right up there with Titans, right up there with That Thing You Do. It's awesome. So, clearly, clearly having Guardians both 1 and 2 here. Uh, moving along, Home Alone 2, it wins the Christmas movie bid. Uh, again, if you noticed, like, not a lot of Christmas movies on here. Don't know how you categorize Die Hard. I know what I think, but... Uh, it was just going to be really hard to include multiple Christmas movies on here because I had 30 plus comedies and I had a bunch of action movies. It was like I wasn't leaving a lot of room for Christmas movies, but I had to have the one option open. Home Alone 2 is my favorite Christmas movie. It's the one I have to watch every Christmas season. Uh, a lot of good ones. Jingle All the Way, A Christmas Story, It's a Wonderful Life. Everyone's got their favorite, but for me it's, you know, it's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. I think it's so much better than the first one. Which, by the way, was the fourth episode of uh, Movies That Made Us. You really do gotta watch that series. It's awesome. Uh, moving along, you know, Home Alone 2, love it. Daniel Stern in it, hilarious, great. Uh, 
Mystery Men, the next one up. Such an underappreciated comedy. Uh, I think this is another one that if I watched it today, it's not as funny as it was when I was a kid. But at the same time, there were a lot of jokes that definitely went over my head that I think I'd appreciate more today. Uh, when it comes to superhero movies, this is not exactly like the other ones. This does not have the effects that the current ones do. But I do really like the you know Greg Kinnear's character of... Uh, you know, just being like the Superman type guy, but when it comes down to it, he's all, not all that, like, you know, that great. And the way they talk about how it can't be him, and they're like, this guy wears glasses. The superhero doesn't wear glasses. Get that through your head. I just, I love that they make that, like, joke because, like, in Clark Kent wears glasses, but Superman doesn't. And it's like, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a clever movie. It's really funny. And that's why it's in here. It's late, but it's in here. As is Heavyweights. This was also one of the movies that I was going to have close to the top with my comedies. But again, it was really tough to include in those 90s comedy genre up at the top. However, had to have Heavyweights on here. This was so funny to me growing up. Uh, I think the, I think people have said that it hasn't aged well. I think it aged just fine. I think it's so great. It's so quotable. And it's one of my favorite Ben Stiller characters. And I don't even consider this like a Ben Stiller movie because I think it's funny on its own. But... Ben Stiller is one of my favorite characters of him. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, moving along, Enemy of the State. It's my favorite Will Smith movie after Independence Day, obviously, because Independence Day is one of my favorites. But, uh, you know, Will Smith has made a lot of movies that I think kind of, like, you know, get overrated a bit because he's in it because everyone knows he's a good actor. But I think Enemy of the State is awesome. I think, uh, you know, this, this is... It's one of those where my dad and I watched, like, and I, I just was like, whoa, this is a cool movie that both me and my dad really like. It was a, a good mix of cool and thrilling and not really knowing what's going on. I do think, again, we're talking about movies and how they age. This one's not going to age as well because technology is so much better nowadays. But uh, it, it's a good one nonetheless. John Voight, awesome in it, Catholic University alumni. Uh, you have guys like Seth uh, Seth uh, Green and Jack Black are in it in small roles. Uh, I believe Jake Busey's in this one too. You have a lot of like pretty good actors in smaller roles, but also Will Smith and and Gene Hackman are great in this too. Uh, it's it's a really well rounded movie, and I think uh, yeah, it's it's to me it was a favorite of mine for a really long time. So again, I got to keep in some movies here that were favorites at times, even though. I probably don't have them as highly rated anymore. This is the movies that made Jake, and Enemy of the State certainly was. All right, getting down to the last two, we got Horrible Bosses. Horrible Bosses came out at a great time, and that comedy era was right at the end there. I loved this movie. I laughed out loud in theaters. Um, <coughs> again, this was a little bit out there because it wasn't in the Apatow genre. It wasn't in the Will Ferrell genre. It wasn't, like, you know, one of the... It, usually the comedies that don't stick into like one of those two groupings are kind of out on their own and uh, this was certainly one of them this was one of those movies that really made me love start to love both Sudeikis and Bateman I thought they were both great uh, Charlie Day you know, he, he's just an, an example of a guy that just needs to be in more movies and, and you know it, a lot of people love him because of his quirky voice but I just think he's funny on like just when he gets really angry uh it's just a weird movie concept. It's been done in the past. Jamie Foxx's character, super funny in it. 
And uh, I, I love this movie. It's not on enough. I need it to be on TV more. And then finally is My Best Friend's Wedding. Again, you're going to be surprised. This is not one of my favorites. This isn't on here because of that. But the Brainy Family did get a bid on here. And I'll read what I wrote for that. The Brainy Family Division, right? We were going to have a Brainy Family one. What gets played at the Brainy household? Originally, we thought that thing you do was going to be in there. But it got in on its own merits in the Jake Choice 10. So I picked the next best one, right? And it was my best friend's wedding. It barely beat out these following ones. So shout out to these honorable mentions. Family Man, Deep Blue Sea, Notting Hill, 10 Things I Hate About You, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Grease, and the lesser favorite, The Holiday. All movies that were played endless amount of times at the Brainy Household. Deep Impact is another one, but that got in on its own merits. Armageddon was another one. That dropped out upon a recent rewatch and realizing how crap it is. There were plenty of movies to put in for the Brainy family. Again, we're the family that watches movies endless amount of times. If we have people over, our parties end just basically because we move to the living room and start watching a movie midway through. That's just how we roll. It's how we do things. And uh, I had to give a Brainy family one. It was tough. It was a really tough call because I didn't know what to do. I wanted to have another Nick Cage movie in there. I wanted to fit in maybe Grease because it's a, it's a big one for the Quins as well. It was hard, but I ended up going with My Best Friend's Wedding because that's probably the most played movie in my house, period, at 316 Washington. Okay, so that's the 100. And my movie, 101. Of all the movies that it could have been, right? Okay, so... I'll read you some of the honorable mentions. Maybe I should... No, I'll just do Movie 101 first. Movie 101, the last movie in my podcast. This is the end. That's the movie. Uh, starring Seth Rogen, Jay Baruchel, James Franco, Craig Robinson, uh, Danny McBride, Jonah Hill. I, I love that movie. It's, it's another one that I'm like, God, these guys are so funny. It's star-studded because everyone plays themselves, and it's just really cool that they made a disaster movie out of just their regular lives, but it is so great, and I thought it was a perfect fit for Movie 101 because this is the end is the title, this is the end of the podcast, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's it's a hilarious movie. It's it the, the Jonah Hill scenes are great, especially when he's possessed by the demon, I think are, are so funny because uh, <laughs> he's still acting like snarky. You know Jay Baruchel. He's you know he, he like he's not the best part of the movie, but I think he does fine like carrying it. James Franco, his like character of himself is so ridiculous, and I love it. Uh, Danny McBride, God, he just needs to be himself in everything because he's just a character on his own. The scene between him and Franco when they're arguing about the magazine, oh my God, I crack up every single time. That is such a funny scene. And such a funny give and go. That movie's great, and I had to have it on here. It was it was a really tough call for my movie 101, but I just needed to have that on here, and I thought that would be a good fit. So that's my 101 movies. You know, it is we're two hours and 53 minutes into a podcast. I add the music later, so if it's not adding up, that's why. Um, but yeah, it's been a long one. Uh, some honorable mentions: the first 10 out. Hot Tub Time Machine, The Nice Guys, The Town, Toy Story, Rogue One. If you've noticed, I didn't have any uh, any cartoons, or not, not cartoons, animated. Um, and that's not a certain thing. It's just, it, it's a hundred movie. It's, it's, you get to a hundred a lot faster than you think. Toy Story, Rogue One, uh, American Pie, 
Shutter Island, EZA, Napoleon Dynamite. That's it. Those were the those were the closest ten. Those are the ones that I considered a lot and that I just couldn't find a way to get them in. Um, honorable mention based on just how good they are, but they weren't going to get in because of whatever reason. Lord of the Ring trilogy that's never been that big for me. Uh, Dodgeball, forgetting Sarah Marshall, Forty Year Old Virgin again. I can't have every movie from that category. I can't have every Will Ferrell movie. I can't have every Apatow movie. I can't have all of those. Um, Big Daddy, Happy Gilmore. Again, didn't have a lot of Sandler on here, if any. I don't. I'm, I might have not had any. I'm not his biggest fan. I think he's good. I think his movies are funny. But again, a hundred movies comes up fast, man. And I did. I, I cheated. I have like a hundred and twenty something movies on here after the amount of trilogies and stuff that I included. Uh, you know, T two, Terminator two, great movie. Gone Girl, Gone Baby Gone, Catch Me If You Can, The Green Mile, Bill and Ted, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, Usual Suspects, The Prestige, The Godfather, Casino, The Rock, Clerks, Dogma, Clerks 2, Mystery Alaska, The Big Short, Elf, uh, D2, The Mighty Ducks, Big, uh, Paycheck and Torque, that was the first ever double feature I've ever seen, that's the only reason why that's here, Parasite, Train to Busan, Jingle All the Way, Christmas Story, John Tucker Must Die, Meet the Parents, The Natural, Plenty of great movies that could have all been on here. Semi-pro, all just honorable mention. But that is my list of 100 movies. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. This has been this has been so much fun. A couple final notes. Con Air won the Nick Cage Award. Is getting on for an automatic bid. Liar Liar got in for the Jim Carrey Award. Keanu, uh, you know, this was going to be tough, but I went with The Matrix. It beat Hardball, Speed, and Keanu, the self-titled movie. Uh, all good movies, but... When it came down to the Keanu Reeves, it was going to be The Matrix. Uh, J.K. Simmons got whiplash in for his performance. Armageddon was uh, was hurt by a rewatch, and it fell out. Uh, that's why Independence Day and Deep Impact are, are kind of like the disaster movie headliners. Pearl Harbor never had a chance. John Q won the Denzel region, which obviously has a thousand movies that could be in here, but it comes down to each their own. Uh, he got game was a was a close contender for that one. Casino Royale won the Bond automatic bid. Skyfall and Doctor No were the close behinds. The trilogies again: Wick, Cap, Star Wars. Uh, you have Indiana Jones, Matrix, Die Hard. You have a couple there. Uh, you know Iron Man didn't get any in there. Lord of the Rings didn't get any in there. The Brainy Family Division I just went through. Guardians of the Galaxy was a late ad because of two carrying it. Uh, that helped it get in. Ragnarok won for my favorite comedy or favorite comic book one. And finally, the blockbuster ten. Uh, this is where you would have seen movies like Forrest Gump, Top, uh, Forrest Gump, Top Gun, and The Graduate. Uh, it's a really tough division that was hard to get all those movies in there. But Back to the Future really did carry it. So, again, this was a three-hour podcast. I really appreciate you all for listening. That's my 101 movies that made me. I really hope you critique me, you criticize, you argue. That's what movies are about. It's about talking about them. And we don't have enough movies right now, so we need things like this. So I hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this three-hour Jake podcast. I could have made this into three different episodes if I wanted, but uh, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go. Thank you all for listening. Go Browns.